Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Standing on My Soapbox, the daily rant and radio show. We talk about all of the good, bad, and the ugly of current events. Join your host, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. You, our listeners, are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us. Call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. That's 347-989-0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. Well, thank you, Katie. Welcome, everyone, to Standing on My Soapbox. It is Thursday, April 18th, 2019. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. In just a little while, we'll be joined by my co-host, actor and writer, Craig Hurley. We're here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 Pacific Time, 4 to 5 Eastern Time, to talk all about the day's news, politics, pop culture, and what's happening in the world. You're always welcome to call in and join the conversation. You can give us a call at 347-989-0126. That's 347-989-0126. And now giving me anxiety for the second day in the row is Mr. Craig Hurley. Why am I giving you anxiety? Just because I'm calling, calling in right, right as, as you're starts. mentioning. <laughs> right as the, I mention you. So I'm getting anxiety. But, uh, it, you know, it's just being... On the same wavelength. That's all it is. You know, literally, right when you mentioned me, I was dialing the phone. So. There you go. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm not doing as well as the mice in Argentina who um, ate a uh, half a ton of marijuana that was held in police evidence. Um, I'm, I'm not doing as well as them today uh that's like the equivalent of uh that's a police department's equivalent of the dog ate my homework come on guys right. that really seriously yeah uh, yeah i'm not doing as well as those mice that's for sure i you know, saw that i mean how corrupt are you to blame 1100 pounds <laughs> to be eaten by mice i mean oh. there would be dead mice all over the ground i don't think they could handle that much no, uh, they they'd be able to handle it fine. Uh, marijuana doesn't kill anybody. It doesn't kill mice. All they were doing is running around high looking for cheese. That's all they were doing. <laughs> That's funny. I love it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, are you wrapping not, up the whole moving thing? Are we weed. getting done with this? Um, uh, moving is a constant thing, and it's uh, at least right now. Um, and it's raining, so I'm not moving anything at this point. Aha. Uh-huh. There you go. Don't want to move anything in the rain. Don't want anything to get wet. So. Yeah, it's so supposed to rain chilling. the next two days here, I guess. Yep. Chilling like a villain. Very good. Very chilling good. like Bob Dylan. Super duper. Yeah, that was a, that was an interesting story. I saw that. A couple of the things you brought over here. Of course, the big news of the day, which we'll get to when we feel like it, is the Bob Mueller report. Do we really have to uh, talk? Everybody's talking about dominating. the Mueller report. Everybody's talking we about have it. To why, mention why do we have to it, talk? Why? Why? It's all stupid. It's all dumb. Come on, man. Everybody's talking about that crap. It's it's a redacted. Redact, please, I'm so tired of uh, of their um, manipulation of verbiage. It's just an edited brief is all it freaking is. 
And they took out all the stuff that all the corrupt bullshit that they don't want us to read, which is um, what unconstitutional. You know, just release the report as is, you know, so that we can all see it. If we have that right. That's the part I don't understand. I I know Congress. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the grand jury is the stuff that they're not releasing. And the grand jury, all a grand jury does is hear the evidence. So all they're redacting is the evidence that proves all this happened, which is what's so sad. Yeah, that's that's my point. That's my point. It doesn't it doesn't include anything that says, you know, what he did that was corrupt or what his administration did or what the people that are around him did that was corrupt in order to get him put into office. So, you know, we don't know enough of the information and and anything that was redacted. You people are retarded. Um, And I do mean that in the scientific sense, slowed and hindered. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Redact. It's it's just an edited piece of work. Come on, I, I I've been in the entertainment business my whole life. I, we go through edits all the time on everybody's work, except this is facts and this is corruption, and this is the presidency. So you know we don't need any redactions or edits. We need to see what the hell he did in order to cheat to get into office. Uh, and the sad thing is, is that I don't think this has anything to do with him getting into office. I think it has to do with him staying into office. I think that, uh, unfortunately, the, he, he won the elections part. Was it possibly because of some social media tampering by some Russian people in some key states? Possibly. But um, did we have a flawed candidate in the Democrat side? Definitely. Um, but the point is, that whether he got there or not uh, legally, and I think he probably did, it's his tactics since he's been in office that is what needs to be under scrutiny and what the American people deserves to hear. What did this guy do to keep this job that he won by 70,000 votes as opposed to the person that got 3 million votes more than him, or basically 3%? So, and, and it's just not going to come out, which is what's really sad. But we've got to deal with it for another two years, and hopefully we will learn as a country and yeah, we're under, vote we're the guy the hell now, out of office. What's that? We're under two years now. And we've already got a whole bunch of people that are stepping up and, and are like, no, put me into office. I'll make sure to, to shift, you know, and, and make sure that it – it's going along a progressive route, and I don't mean progressive as in Democrat. I mean progressive as in human. Uh, you know, we have to move forward. We're not moving backwards, just not. So all those people that want to live bass backwards, backwards, that's fine. You know, you need to do that. You go do that, but don't influence my life. Don't influence everybody else's life because you're a dumbass for wanting to sit right. and stay and not learn anything. So get out of our way because we're moving forward. And that's what's happening with a whole bunch of the candidates right now for the current candidates for president. So well, we're, we're seeing a whole bunch. In my of opinion, if we just go after Trump, we're going to lose again because there's going to be yeah, enough no, people don't, don't even, that are just don't not going to care. We need to go them. over progressive values. We need to go over health care for all. We need to go over yep. uh, income equality. I mean, those yep. are the things we have to talk about. What he, what this stupid person has done for the first two years doesn't matter. 
you need to go back what needs to change, and that's how we win the election. The so only we'll thing he did do was was be a big distraction because that's what he is. He's a reality show host. Um, he's a big distraction. And they put forth the five things, and I've said that. Uh, they are, they've already done it. Build the wall, which whatever they're doing, they, they, there's always construction down there. I mean, it's not like it's something that um, is just happening now. Uh, you know, we've right. always had some type of barrier across the southern border. So except for the mountains, which that's the barrier. They're, they're mountains. Nobody climbs them to get here. So, um, you know, it's, it's a little rough to, to do that. Uh, but otherwise, you know, we've had a barrier across the Rio Grande. We've had uh, barriers uh, across. I've crossed that border from Tijuana to uh, whatever that is. San Diego County or whatever the hell. Um, but, yeah. you know, we, we've got walls there. Uh, we've had them all, all the time. I mean, my whole life. So I, when I crossed there when I was four years old, when I went there with my family to Disneyland and we went down to Mexico for a minute. So, you know, there's always been a, a border. So that's one of them. And then the the tax breaks for the rich, woo, like they need them. Um, and, uh, and what else? The, uh, the other three things, I don't even know what they were. They're all stupid and they all have to do with, you know, making sure that rich people get richer. Hey, wait, you're not rich mm-hmm. enough already. we got a bunch of rich people right now. I know you and, and, uh, Katie were talking about one in particular who's like, I want to, I want to, um, pay more in taxes and they won't let me. So, um, yeah, this is a woman who is a real estate, made her money in real estate. It's part of a, a pack of 200 millionaires that say, hey, we're willing to pay more. Um, yep. Just just let us do it. I mean, well, we we don't have a mechanism to do it. We're not going to write a check uh, to the U.S. tax department because who knows what they'll do with it. But uh, if you'd like to take it out and use it for programs that needs to go, we're all about it. Please do that. And there's at least 200 of us. So yep. it, it just needs to be done. I mean, I think we have a Stockholm syndrome effect where we did have we do have an improved economy because for some reason people had it in their head that if it's a a republican president that there's going to be job creation and all these rich people just did it we only have they did it we only have a good economy because of obama we don't have a good economy because of this guy we're not going to see the effects until the next presidency then we'll see the effects of of what he did that's that's how this works it happens every single time <laughs> so um you know we get to see the effects of what the last president did um during the current administration and that's what we're seeing is we're seeing all the things well, that obama put into play too i think it happened very quickly i think a lot of people thought oh we have a rich person that's going to give us all this tax money back let's start spending money now where obama they got was nothing. um we got to do share. We're not going to do shit for you. Even though we can do it, we can afford to do it. We have the money to do it, but you're scaring us. So we're not going to do it. And then Trump comes and says, okay, now we'll start doing it. And uh, I think that it was set up to be done all along. I think this could have happened uh, a long time ago. Obama, like you said, saved the tur- turned around. If you look at the pro- projections from the years, um, the highest wealth, are the highest, uh, they're, they're saying earnings are up now. If you look at the highest earnings over the last uh, 10 years, Obama's eight in the last two, um, six of the spikes of the last 10 years were in the Obama presidency. 
right. so wages were made best under Obama. If you look at the steady incline of growth, the growth from the eight years of Obama is, uh, I think it's like 487% higher than what it is in the two years under um, Trump for, for, the, for the rate of growth because it was already on that trajectory. And so the growth he had, it's just, you're, when you're comparing apples to oranges, like these guys are doing, it makes it sound like everything's going better. But I think the only thing that happened, like I said, is the Stockholm effect where everyone said, oh, we have this Republican president. Now we can spend this money because we don't have a real big bad Democrat who's going to take all of our money away from us. And so they started spending money that they already had this entire time, which did make the economy better and make the unemployment lower. But they could have done this six years ago, and they just refused yeah. to do it. So that's the sad part of it is we could have been better six years ago as a country. Right. Right. No, I know a lot of people that haven't, that that have, you know, gotten their tax returns back and they're not happy because they don't get any money back. They have to pay. So they're not, they're not happy with this. And, you know, that's the 60%, not the 30%. So there's always 10% of the people that are just, plain stupid that don't do anything they don't vote they don't do anything because they think their vote's not going to matter i know a lot of people like right. that too um and uh, uh you know a lot of like young people are like that is what's really bad people that affect no i see i see what i see is no i see millennials being apathetic and uh, that's what i they, guess i mean i'm old that's what i mean yeah I'm millennials the 25 to 35 group is the worst personally yeah that's millennials um, those are millennials yeah. and i absolutely agree um the gen z though uh they're the ones that are turning and and being like okay okay wait we have to live here <laughs> okay right. regardless of what you guys are thinking or doing you're 80 years old you're 70 years old we are teenagers and we have to live here for the rest of the time so keep screwing up our place while you're still alive for what a year 80-year-olds, so, you know, I, and sorry, I, I, I don't mean to bash all the 80-year-olds, but when they go and are destroying uh, the planet that other people have to inhabit, I, I have to bash them. So people like the Koch brothers, uh, you know, I have to bash them. Uh, they are continuing to try to make money and uh, off of a dying industry, which is coal and is oil. Uh, and they're continuing to do this while we are moving forward. Uh, we know that it is um, a hell of a lot less money to get it from wind, to get our energy from wind. We know it's a hell of a lot less harmful to get our energy from the sun. Um, we know all of these things already. It's not like these aren't scientific fact. By the way, 347 would love to hear your opinions on this, everybody. Um, but uh, all of these things are scientific fact. Coal is a pollutant and is damaging our atmosphere. It's damaging our lungs. It's damaging our bloodstreams. We're drinking it. We're breathing it. It's time to stop. So once again, 347-989-0126. Any of you coal miners out there, you know, you think you can't be qualified for another freaking job? Absolutely, you can be qualified for another freaking job. If you're smart enough to go down in a hole and dig, you can go up on top of the surface and dig as well. So, 
Um, but you, you know, get some and, underground and tunnels for transportation so we can stop getting off these crowded uh, freeways or something if you want to dig. Nice. No, everything everything should go to the <laughs> everything should go go to the air. Uh we really shouldn't be digging any doing any subways or anything like that. Um the the, the ground's got enough problems uh, all by itself. Uh, our surface um you know, it, it, it's difficult to find bedrock. Uh, we have to go down uh, very far. And even then, when we place our, our, either our columns or our drilled piers or whatever our foundation is, um, even then, that bedrock shifts. It's called earthquakes. So uh, we rely on things underground. Uh, we have to really start building up and we have all sorts of different, you know, we have all sorts of different technologies. Now we've got really, really powerful, uh, strong concrete, hempcrete. We've got hempcrete, uh, speaking of weed, um, you know, it's a bonding material. We've got hemp concrete. So, um, and, and you were mentioned in Stockholm just now, dude, did you see that? I don't mean to jump off, but that's what I do. Uh, uh, did you see that house, the the greenhouse that these people that built was over there? I thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about no, that. that's that really cool. cool. I'm telling you, if I ever, you know, Katie said this before that if I ever make it to Europe, uh, I'm not coming back to the United States. Um, there's too many things there that are freeing, that are mm, progressive, that are, you know, a, a way of life that that a lot of people there are very happy in. I, I don't see a lot of people in the United States happy right now. Um, so, and, and the, yeah, these people built a greenhouse over their house so that they can grow fruits and vegetables in the winter. And in Stockholm, Sweden, it's, it's, uh, it's below zero. Uh, it's below freezing, not below zero. Sorry. It's below freezing literally nine months out of the year. So for them to have a greenhouse over their house, that means their heating bills go down and they don't even have a furnace from what I understand. They have a wood burning stove and that's what heats the house in the winter <laughs> because they have yeah, a greenhouse they said that, uh, over their house. The greenhouse keeps it in there. The warmth of the sun during yep. the day keeps it in there yep. and then the bedrock stays heated up. And so they just need that wood stove and it keeps them fine, which is yep. amazing. Yeah, no, it, I, I think that whole thing is really cool. Um, they only they um, did fresh lumber all around the house, and the only thing they painted it with was linseed oil to the elements. There's no wind or rain going on it ever. So they're able right. to use linseed oil, which is a very renewable source, obviously, and gave it a nice shine, a nice color to the wood, protects the wood. But you're not you don't need to protect it from the elements, so it has a gorgeous look to the house as yeah. well. Um, it costs eighty four thousand to put all this glass around it. It's that uh, thick shatterless get glass. If it breaks, it's not like you're going to come down with sheets of glass raining on you no, and decapitate you. It it's the shatter kind yeah. um, that just shatters into a jillion little pieces. Um, inside itself a lot of that will stay but, together with a with a large impact a lot of that glass will right. stay together it, it won't go anywhere so it'll just crack all throughout but it'll still stay together right. it's not going to fall on you um but yeah uh and then in the in the summer when it gets too hot in that house supposedly automatically the roof opens 
so when it gets to be 80 degrees inside or whatever temperature they've set it at, the the uh, the roof automatically opens so that it doesn't get too hot inside the house. And they said right, there's, there's a sliding there's, door to the side they have. I saw a couple of sliding windows they have to open off the decking yeah. and everything. So yeah, it's very yeah, it very looks, well constructed. It looks really cool. And it's a, yep. it's a summer place, from what I understand. This is where mostly summer homes are for because you can't really live there in the winter time. But because right. of this now they can live there all year round, which is very cool. Yeah, I and think that's a really, out. really interesting idea. Trying to uh, let me look up where they can find it out there. Uh, you want Stockholm? Second. It's Stockholm, Sweden, I think. You were bringing up Stockholm, and I'm pretty sure it was Stockholm, Sweden, where they built. Yeah, if you go to davidwolf.com with an e on the end of wolf, davidwolf.com forward slash greenhouse home, you'll find it. There you go. So it's very cool. Yeah, I think I think stuff like that, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Earthship. Um, they are a an organization that builds um, houses that are literally in the ground, and they build them um, uh, out of recycled materials, uh, old tires and old cans and old bottles and stuff like that that they've cleaned off and that can't necessarily be recycled but they they do use them in this manner in order to recycle them um because like you know rubber tires what do we recycle how do we recycle those oh that's good we cut them up and then we put them down on our roadways yeah there's some genius going on there (laughs) there's no (laughs) that's asphalt is rubber tires and tar and old oil and rocks and, and dude what a joke. Just the biggest oil disaster in, in the history of man, and we've laid it across our, our country in order to drive on it and use more oil. I'd say we're really locked into that shit. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, where was I? What was I saying? Well, I just I want to add on to what you were saying, though, for one second. I haven't heard of the recycled part, but there actually is a home yeah, that's about five, mi- five miles from where I live that is underground home. And yeah. they, they use B and B actually. I was featured nice. in our newspaper a couple of years ago. And the downside is being in northeast Ohio here, it does have problems with mold and dampness in it because they have to pay attention okay. to that. Uh, right. But, but it is underground. I think there's only about two foot of it that's above ground. And it's a cool right. thing. I remember seeing the pictures at the time. I don't think it had all the recyclable stuff you were talking about, but it is an underground home, which is literally five miles from here. And I thought that was very wow. cool. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the Earth ships, uh, like I said, they're all made out of recyclable materials. And, excuse me, they put them, um, they start by putting, going underground. They start by digging a hole, and then they build their foundation around that with tires and, and, and different recyclable materials, bottles filled with sand, stuff like that. And uh, uh, it turns out to be a fully self-efficient and self-sufficient house. Um, it, it will, its water supply is brought by rain. Uh, the way they set up the, the gutter system is a lot like the way I was designing floodwater relocation program. Like I said, I've, I've stolen floodwater relocation from uh, uh, Mulholland 
and, you know, just from different people and putting just different ideas together. Um, right. And they did, they did it on a very small scale. They did a floodwater relocation program on, on a very small scale with the earthships. Uh, they, for each house, they literally have their own water supply. Um, and it's based off of it's also based off of condensation. Say there's no rain that day, uh, it, it there's still moisture that condenses under sunlight. And in the the way they've got the system set up within the tubes and within the um, uh, uh, gutters, I don't want to call them gutters because they're not really gutters. Uh, but that's the only thing that I can, you know, that, that's the only thing they resemble. Um, there's condensation that builds up in there and then brings them a, a fresh water supply. So right. for drinking and for toilets and for all of it, I, I think it's really cool that just the innovations that are happening, uh, the innovations in design that are currently happening, and we pay attention to those, and we will have a very, very bright future if all of us start moving along those lines. There's as a lot I of hear smart a, ideas out there. People just listen yeah. to it and do it. But uh... As I hear a diesel truck right next door to me right now, guys, there's this thing called biodiesel. <laughs> it's made out of marijuana. It's also made out of French fry oil at McDonald's. Okay? We have biodiesel. Um you know, I, Willie Nelson's been using this for I don't know how long on his buses. Easily right. 30 years. I remember years. him talking about He's that. been using biodiesel. He'll roll up to a McDonald's and be like, can I have your old oil? And they're like, yes, please, because they have no place to put it. That's a hazardous waste material. So they have to go no, through charge you all to of the hazardous waste. I was waste. in a restaurant for 20 years. They charge yeah. you to remove your oil. They charge you. Yep. So... There you go. I mean, you know, Willie Nelson's bus pulls up and takes all your oil. You don't get charged. Um, (laughs) And we all need to do that. We all should do that, especially with all the trucks that are out here and and doing all of the uh, all of the runs all the way across the United States all the time. Uh, You know, biodiesel would be the way to go about this. We wouldn't be polluting. It's got zero emissions. That's part of the problem. Uh, You know, it's got zero emissions where diesel itself doesn't. Right. So. Nice. Wow, so there's a man in custody. Did you? Yeah. yeah, yeah are we both talking? We're, we're both about to say this exact same thing. Yeah, we got copycats. <laughs> there's a guy who just went into St. Patrick's Cathedral in uh, in uh, New York with gas cans. So, eh. look out, Catholics. <laughs> Sorry. <He had> four <laughs> gallons of gasoline, two bottles of lighter fluid and lighter um, walking into a church. That's a little suspicious, oh, I think. No, Can there's you believe nothing suspicious Oh, my God. Wow. How do you even be discreet oh. carrying four gallons of gasoline? <laughs> I, have, I have a two-and-a-half-gallon thing I can barely lift part of the time, and you're carrying four gallons of that shit in there? No, That's, and some lighter fluid. I don't know fluid. how you can be discreet. No, and some lighter fluid. <laughs> and lighter fluid. Two bottles how... of lighter fluid. I mean, you can stick you that can in your pocket. Leave. You know, and how do you sneak four gallons of gasoline in? <laughs> you just can't be discreet with that shit. I don't understand. Oh, oh that's my terrible. god! And and oh. the the guards uh, the guards stop in the church and tell him to turn around away, and the guards take a second, like, well, maybe we should stop him. <laughs> yeah, like you now, think, you're not allowed you in here with four gallons of gasoline. Intent. 
my were they God. all separate? Were they all separate gallons? <laughs> or was it, it one? Doesn't say, I haven't seen a five-gallon <laughs> tank before. Well, I guess I've seen a couple gallons. Oh, no, I've, I've seen, seen a five-gallon five tank before, and they're actually heavy. Okay. So how is he carrying that? They're exactly. actually kind of weighty once they have gallons of gas in them. So, <laughs> oh, man. But anyway, they're pretty so down alert now at all Catholic churches. If you see nah. anyone carrying around oh. gasoline canisters, you might I'm want sorry. to be of I, 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 I just I don't I don't mean to laugh, but I have to. I can't. I, you, you know, Catholicism's been losing. They lost two billion people over the past like five years. Something stupid. Like two billion people went. Yeah, we're not doing this anymore. So you know, we're believing in something else. Um, I just uh, I've seen. I've seen it a killed lot me to be on of, the same side as Steve Bannon the other night when they had that big. 60 minute or whatever interview and they talked about the Pope and how Steve Bannon's against the Pope for his child abuse thing. It's like, I don't, I, the Catholic church does so many things wrong. And and now the memes are all going around with this. They've raised $680 million um, for the yeah. cathedral. Yeah, all these millionaires. And it's like, yeah. I didn't know the Catholic Church needed yeah. money. Is the big meme going? Oh no, on that's right what, that, no, no, no. That's that's been my main problem with with Catholicism. That's my main problem is I have literally witnessed people giving monies to the Catholic Church in order to buy their significant other after they die um, away into heaven. I, I, I'm sorry. Why don't you just use the money that you have um, in order to make somebody's life better here? Because your significant other, either he or she made it to heaven or they didn't. There isn't a way to buy them in. God does not care about money. So um, you might want to figure it out beforehand and give those monies to people that actually freaking need it. Oh, I don't know, 3.5 million homeless people in the United States. They alone need the money. It's only about money and it's about health care when it comes to homeless people. It's about mental health care because there's obviously something wrong. So we need to pay attention to that and help them. If you've got $680 million to rebuild a freaking structure, you better give it away to people that actually no, freaking no, that's need not the, That's not what I'm saying, though. That, that's not what I'm saying. That, that was donated by these people, companies like L'Oreal and all these big yeah. millionaires yeah. donated yeah. to them. But they don't need it. Yeah. The church doesn't need it. Like you said, that needs to go no. from these millions. Not the church giving it away. These millionaires are the ones that need to give it away. Katie and I were talking about the yeah. other day. It's like, yeah. why aren't you doing stuff now with all this money you have, which is yep. ridiculous. Yeah, and they got all the, in the United States at least, they got all these freaking tax breaks. So, dude, now they got more money. So, And you're not giving exactly. it? You're not being a philanthropist? You're just being a greedy son of a bitch? Is that it? Three four seven nine eight nine zero one two six. Any of you greedy son of a bitches that want to call me, I am listening. Speaking of greedy son of a bitch, I need some coffee. It's time for a break. <laughs> okay. All right, we're gonna play a little Cameron Hawthorne dancing in my living room. We'll be back in just a couple seconds, guys. Give us a call. Three four seven nine eight nine zero one two six right here on Standing on My Soapbox. Ten PM. Here again After a bottle of red 
guys we are back if you're listening to standing on my soapbox give us a call 347-989-0126 that's 347-989-0126 i almost didn't make it back i didn't even get a chance to yeah dude i didn't even get a chance to go downstairs and smoke i didn't i didn't get to uh i i didn't throw the music back on i barely made it back on here All right, guys, give us a call. What else do we have to talk about? Uh, let us know what's on the mind. If you want to talk about the Mueller Report, we'll talk about it more. We can talk about no, glass I, houses. I still want to talk about mice. No, I want to talk about mice that are high. That's that's what I want to talk high about. High mice. High miscas, muscas. And where was this at again? This was at... Um, it was in Argentina. You know, the, the play that... Yeah, the play that Katie just did, The Abuelas, at Victory Gardens Theater is all about the corruption in, in Argentina. And I just think it's really funny that the police department there is saying that, that they, that their mouse, that the mice ate half a ton of their marijuana and evidence. <laughs> I just, 
I'm, I'm and thinking, notice, you know, notice it's the former police commissioner saying know that Javier Spezia and fellow officers told the judge they were. this is a former police commissioner, so he's not even employed anymore. Um, <laughs> Didn't he not? He put stuff in, 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 like, before he ended being police commissioner, he, like, said something about that the, the weed wasn't in evidence. Or he said nothing about it, or something. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't put anything down. I don't. I don't know exactly what the information that I read. So because they're putting well, now out. Now the courts uh, are deciding if it's due missing due to negligence or expedience. So I wonder what the expedience <laughs> oh, oh. are to get rid of it. If it's negligence <laughs> or expedience. Oh, oh, I don't know. Um, smoking it, perhaps. <laughs> it would be really fast for it to disappear. Uh, dealing it, and it would only, disappear. This is only 540 kilograms of it. The same storage warehouse has held over 6,000 kilograms of it for the past two years. So it's not wow. like there wasn't plenty to go around there. So, right. Uh, yeah, I'm still not, you know, I, I'm not getting it. Uh, we've talked about this before, hemp, which is the natural form of the marijuana plant. I think we were just talking about it yesterday. Um, is, you know, is 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 the strongest natural fiber known to man. There are a lot of benefits to using marijuana and to using the male form of marijuana. Uh, we know that it's not necessarily a cancer cure, but it sure helps out for the ailments, for the problems, like not being able to eat while you're going through chemotherapy. So, you know, smoke a little weed, eat an edible, and then you'll be able to eat. Um, just, we have, there's so many benefits. And for them to keep it from us and for them to charge us, for actually possessing it or and or smoking it, um, it there's something inherently wrong about that. It, it's just inherently wrong when things like Philip Morris, major billionaire companies, uh, even the start of the United States, uh, the Civil War was about marijuana production. Uh, we've got, you know, all of these different um, issues surrounding it. And we shouldn't have an issue. It grows wild everywhere. It'll grow wild in three months. If you only have three months of warm weather, it'll grow wild for you. I'm standing here currently staring at a police car while I'm talking. <laughs> I'm outside <laughs> talking, about, talking about marijuana reform, and I'm standing next to a police car. How y'all doing? <laughs> Only five hundred and forty kilograms of thing? That's nothing. Start talking about five hundred and forty kilograms. Nothing for nothing for the right pothead. That's for sure. Exactly. Oh my goodness. (laughs) You're smoking on a daily basis. Let's see, five hundred and I don't actually know what that is. Kilograms? Because we don't usually measure that in five hundred and forty kilograms is eleven hundred. It's eleven hundred pounds. It's eleven hundred pounds. Eleven hundred pounds. Dude, I do. If it you says. smoked weed on a daily basis, there's no you, you couldn't go through 1,100 pounds even if it'd be years. It'd be years to go through. Even a pound of weed is going to take you a year. 
So if, if it's but, just you know, one individual. It somehow. There was a police guy. He was selling it somehow or doing something with it, using it to, to entrap his little people he's arresting. Who knows? There's a former yeah, police commission. Yeah, that all of that. Could have been lost. Yeah, that all kind of sucks. All of that sucks. We really need to reform all of this. And and we have been. We're we're going state by state, at least here in the United States. Argentina, I have no idea, dude. Their their system is really, really corrupt. They go from dictatorship to democracy to dictatorship to democracy to dictatorship to democracy over and over and over again. These South American countries are a trip to watch. So as far as the way they, they do their government and they do their policing. Right. Wow, it's cold out here. Can you hear that wind? It's like I can't hear it. But I know it's Yesterday it was sixty-five. Today. Sixty-five. Today it's forty. Uh, yeah, there's no climate change, guys. It's all. Yeah, we're getting it today. We have the wind light. came in today, and it's seventy-eight today. It was seventy-eight when I when I was out doing my errands earlier. It's a little yeah. warm here, but it's going to sixties tomorrow. Oh no, and it's going to get colder than that. We have 60s by the and way, rain all the next these, couple of days with 78 today. Oh, oh, Did you hear about what happened at the Weather Channel, though, today? No. <laughs> I don't, as, a, as a weatherman, I don't watch the Weather Channel. Uh, I, I used to have it on all the time um, because they were reporting a, a lot of it. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, I feel when – when they all start reporting the weather wrong, like a guy like Tom Skilling in WGN Chicago, he's wrong 70% of the time. He's paid $1.8 million a year. His brother's in jail for some other shit that went down in their, in their financial shit that went down in their family. So there is something going on there. Um, but and where you're wrong 70% of the time, you get paid $1.8 million a year. Look, dude, I'm right about the weather 70% of the time. Where the hell is my $1.8 million a year? Because I'm right. Yeah, really, right? So where this asshole is wrong all the time. And he's a fat little, frumpy little I, – I, dude, I've hated Tom Skilling for uh, like my entire lifetime. He's been on, he's been on WGN like forever, and, uh, and he's wrong. And he just had a whole t- a Twitter tirade. Well, they released a, a video on him. Um, uh, <laughs> where he's running around because people went off on him on Twitter for being a hack, and uh, and he couldn't handle it. <laughs> and he's, the dude's like seventy years old. What's he doing on Twitter in the first place? He's like our president. What the hell are you <laughs> doing on social media? Um, you're a fool. Trying to be hip. Yeah. Uh, why don't you just try to be right about the forecasting of the weather? Why don't you try to do that? Because that's your job. Um, just like, why don't you try to be a president? Because that's your freaking job. Um, instead of, you know, going off on people on Twitter. Come on. So, uh, yeah, I, I, when, when they're wrong, I, I tend to turn them off. And without all of these things happening, like drought. See, that's where a floodwater relocation program will never get implemented. Because without drought... The Weather Channel has nothing to report, nothing to report on. They have no job. You're not going to have any fires. You're not going to have any problems growing some food because you'll have water. So they would have no job. Every two years or every three years when California goes into a drought, they'd be like, uh, yeah, California's not in a drought, so that's all we have to report. That'd be it. You know, It's like five seconds for the news report for California. 
So they got nothing right. to report. So without all this shit, um, you know, and that's where I'm, I'm like, I'm really turned off now by all these. I make fun of them when I see them on the air. Like, ooh, thunder snow. Oh, let's jump around. Thunder snow. <laughs> you freak. You know, what the hell? It's just thunder snow. We've had thunder snow before. Well, it's always been yeah. funny to me how much old pe- older people um, rely on their weather people. And, like, my dad, when he was doing anything, he would have the weather channel on for, like, a half an hour at a time every once throughout the day. When when he wasn't really feeling good, he'd have it. And my mom, my mom's so funny. The other day, bless little Mama Linda's heart. Um, we had the I told you the fast moving storm go through here on Sunday. We had these right. the, the thunderstorm, the tornado warning on Sunday, and it really yep. went through here fast, like about 15 minutes. Yep. And we had flashlight. And it, we had serious weather 15 minutes. So my mom, bless her little heart, turns on her little weather channel, and she goes and grabs a little pillowcase and puts her wallet in it and her money bag and everything else and her good jewelry in it and comes down to the basement because the weathermen freak out about these silly things. But it's just, it's funny how much people of that time are used to relying on them because we didn't have things like a phone that shows you what the actual map look like. Exactly. (laughs) And alerts you well ahead of time. Well, well, well ahead. But anyway, You've got where we started smartphone. the story was, I guess the Weather Channel has is called AMHQ, a new show every uh-huh. morning, starts at six every yeah. morning. So instead, the viewers no, they've been doing that for a couple of years, pro- but yeah, program, right. Well, this morning there was a tape program going, a heavy rescue four hundred one or stupid, and it did, all of a sudden at seven thirty nine, the anchors broke back in. And it turns out that the other channel was hacked. They had malicious software uh, go through their computers, <laughs> and they weren't able to get their program up until 7.39 this morning. So wow. their live channel was preempted. They had to play a taped version. <clears throat> they broke in with the live show at 7.39, an hour and 39 minutes into it. was. It took them that long to figure out how to get rid of the software and how to reboot their systems. Was that yeah, was that one of Obama's it. was that one of Obama's ideas about deregulating the internet? Or was no, that forty five? That's net neutrality. Well, yeah, net neutrality yeah. let that happen. And in fact was the, that? the House put it back through, put net neutrality bill back through, but it's never gonna go through the Senate, of course, because they're boneheads. But you're right, yeah. Bonehead forty five. No, since they yeah, the since they deregulated the all that. It's gotten yeah, worse. Exactly. Supposedly, our our speed, our our internet speeds are faster. But uh, dude, I, I see a whole bunch of people being able to hack easier with deregulating, yeah. and that's why you know cheating coming up here with the electoral college. Do we have another state that jumped in? I think we have another state that jumped in. We're closer to the 280 uh, votes that we need to make sure that the electoral college does not influence the election coming up here in a year and a half. Ohio was trying to get on board, but they shelved it right now. Um, and I don't know why. Ohio's tough. You guys, are, you guys are tough. You guys are kind of split, aren't you? You got like 50-50 there. You, get, you guys are split down it's the middle as far as red and blue. It's been a long time. It's turned a lot yeah, it's red. Purple. It turned very red the last couple of years, but it was purple for a very long time. Um, well, a lot of those people, the, the a lot of those people are middle class. Red. A lot of those yeah. people are middle class, lower and lower income. I mean, middle income and lower income, not middle class. Sorry, I don't mean to be a classist. Um, uh, the 
and and they really wanted to not be disenfranchised anymore, and that's not what they're getting. Um, sadly, uh, they were duped, and a lot of them know that. Um, they just don't know what to do besides apologize, and uh, even then, they're not really apologizing. Um, they're like, yeah, we 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 kind of made a mistake on this. You know, they're not, they're not like, oh, I'm really sorry for, you know, voting for him. Uh, I'm really sorry right. for wanting him in office. Uh, they're not saying any of that. No, my area here, Northeast Ohio, is the most Democratic of the state, uh, the Mahoning right. and Trumbull County. Very strong Democratic, always above 60% um, in many years past. 60% Democratic vote across the board on any type of federal or state elections. But since Trump, it's gone down to 58, 54. Um, it's yeah, still the guys, majority. It sounds like you guys are dead even. below the 60. Yeah, it, it's dropped yeah. down quite a bit. And yep. so for state offices, we've stayed very Republican for the last eight years now. Um, going into, it's going to be a 12-year stretch now. Uh, federal office, we keep Sherrod Browning, of course, is very progressive. He's uh, He's been long serving here. We have one Democrat and one Republican statewide, uh, federal-wise, I mean, but, uh, and as far as we do have Tim Ryan. I just don't get it. We live in, we live in 2019. We're done with the 1950s. The 1950s actually sucked for a lot of people, man. A lot of people, including my parents. The 1950s sucked, dude. They lived in podunk. They lived poor. That shit sucked. We don't want to live there. We live in 2019. We have a lot of things to do we have a lot of things to see we get stuff thrown at us on a second to second basis with our phones and and on tv we there's so much information out there so many things we can actually learn why would you want to go back to something that sucked it sucked all of that in 1940 sucked what are you guys doing you guys want outhouses again you want outhouses? You want no electricity? What, what are you doing? Come on, move forward. Come on, join 2019 already. Come on, come on. And that's what you, you There's Trump more than enough room. Trump came into town and said, don't sell your houses. Don't move. You're going to go because we're going to bring steel back because that's all this was, was a huge oh steel town until it went bust. And he said, and this is why then all of a sudden steel has not come back here in this area. Steel's no. come back in some parts of the country. But uh, steel's not come back in this area, and we've lost Lordstown now because they, yep. they didn't care about the cars, and it's just yep. Yep. it has not been anything he promised has not come to pass. It's been a bunch of hooey. Yeah. Hooey, hooey. Well, no, the only things that we would discuss that already, the only things that, you know, have come to pass are, are I, you know, not that I have a problem with rich people. I just feel like if you if you are blessed – with so much money, you need to give it to people that aren't. That's it. You know, that's that's the right. only problem that I have. I, you know, people can be rich if they. This is capitalist. If they're going to be rich, they're going to be rich. But at least give some of it up. And what do you need all of it for? After you know, what's what's your norm? You know, fifty thousand a year, a hundred thousand a year. I mean, what? How much more can you actually spend? What do you need? You need another yacht. What do you need? So after you've got all of that. I mean, you know, you don't need anything. Start giving it away. A lot of his. Good for him. Well, yeah. He's still making yeah. in more than he's getting out. 
<laughs> I mean, he's still still up there pretty high. He's giving away a lot of it, which is nice, and it'll give away a lot more after he's gone. But I think well, he, he would love, love to see that in your lifetime. Yeah, he couldn't at first. I know there were a lot of people in, like, the 80s and 90s that were giving him a bunch of shit about how he's not a philanthropist. And it cost, at the time at least, it, it, he, yes, he was a billionaire. He made like $6 billion with Microsoft. And then, and then he turned around and was like, I, I can't do any philanthropy because it costs $6 billion a year to run Microsoft. So I can't do it right. until to the point where I actually can. And he's now at that point. You know, or at least he has been over the past like five years too, where he's at that point where he can um, uh, give his money away. Yeah, well, it, it, he's doing it, which is good. And him, the Belinda, the Bill and Belinda, Melinda Gates Foundation is doing a lot of good work. Can't uh, you can't fault him on that? But it's taken taken a while. Katie wants me to leave the room because she was like, I was enjoying listening to the show. Get the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. She wants me to go Are back out. Are you wandering outside. the house now? You've wandered outside nah, now, I'm, now you're wandering the house? Nah, I'm just <laughs> wandering around, period. There you go. Yeah. All right, well, we have about uh, four minutes left. Uh, wow. we talk about that the real fast. serious news of the day? Um Aquaman shaved his beard. That's blowing up. Oh, yeah. No, no, that's some really, really, really serious news there. Yeah. Aquaman shaving his beard. Um, I I don't, you know, I I, I don't know. I'm an actor. I I, I, I thought that, um, wasn't it, um, uh, what's his face from Entourage that played Aquaman? I'm I'm like, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm going, I'm like, okay, wait, what did we do here now? Okay. Who's this guy? I I, I don't know, but I I think it's good because he's, because he's talking about recycling. I'm not sure what he, what he, how do you recycle your beard? I'm not sure what he what he what he's doing there. Um, I know you can recycle your hair if you grow your hair out really 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 long, and the way you recycle that is you give it to a, an association that will give it to a cancer patient who has no hair Locks and needs wigs. Locks yeah. of love. Locks of love. Exactly. Uh, so if you have really long hair and you're planning on shaving it off, be there. You go. Hey, look, you don't need any money for that. You don't need any well, I mean, money for it's, that. It's, it's just of, your hair, and it's philanthropy. It's kind of it, good, it will be but helping it is kind someone of funny. who is suffering. Yeah, I mean, his, his goal behind it, he said he wants to bring awareness that plastics are killing our planet, which you and I have talked about a lot, which is good. But then he goes Did on. Did he use a disposable a razor? Point, and then he goes, no, but he goes on to say, plastic, then he goes, aluminum is the one thing that can save it. And then he started promoting his own line of sparkling water in aluminum cans. Uh, oh, my <laughs> like, God. Okay. Actually, so, uh, aluminum, yeah, now we, now that's what it is. It's, it's the sparkling yeah, water. Um, I'm going to shave my sparkling beard for water. the sparkling water. Uh, but aluminum is the number one mineral on the planet, and that's why we use it. It is also the number one recyclable mineral uh, material, um, and that's, once again, why we use it. Um, but it also uh, causes uh, Alzheimer's. Aluminum has a problem once it gets into our system 
it will not break down. It gets caught in, in our system and causes damage to our brains and to our, to our, to our organs, to other organs. Um, so there are benefits to it, and there are also problems with it. Uh, we really shouldn't be ingesting it and because it never leaves our system. So, you know, uh, yeah, plastics are a problem. Uh, aluminum's a problem. Uh, all of it's a problem. We have to figure out what the solutions are. Yeah, I didn't know that about aluminum for the body and everything, but how do you how yeah. do you ingest aluminum? How do you get aluminum in your body? Uh, just by drinking it or eating it. Oh, it just lurches off of the product. Okay, I got yeah. you. You know, you know, like um, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, there's been a, uh, times when I've had like a piece of pizza in aluminum, and then the cheese gets stuck to the aluminum and a little bit tears, and then you eat it because you're not paying attention. And that's how the stuff gets into your system. So, and then drinking it, you know, we're drinking out of aluminum cans all the time and that stuff has to leach. It's not like it's going to sit there, you know, it's not just going to, it's going to become part of the drink. Yeah. At least, I mean, it is more recyclable, I guess, than plastics and a lot of the plastic, but plastics are recyclable too. They're just being thrown out. I don't know if it's as much it as not being, as being yeah, it thrown out. On the plastic. It depends on the plastic. Um, there's a number on the bottom of every single container uh, or on the side of it, and it's usually in a little triangle. Uh, the numbers one through three usually get recycled. Um, anything else past that takes a chemical breakdown of the plastic in order to recycle it. So you have to go through a whole a huge process that is actually more detrimental to the atmosphere than not. Um, we're pumping, you know, the, the, the exhaust uh, from melting said plastics chemically um, into our atmosphere. So it is going to, it is a problem. Uh, but those one through threes usually get um, recycled. But like a Starbucks cup, it's made out of a combination of plastics. So none of those can be recycled, even though it has a three on it it can't be recycled. So they end up throwing those mm-hmm. into landfills. Is Howard Schultz All right, still, we're on 30 seconds. Running for I don't even think we have time for a uh, weather alert. Time to say goodbye. Weather alert? Hey, dude, it, it, all over the south and southeast right now. Look out. Dude, <laughs> Look outside your door. Weather alert. Weather alert. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then there's all another right, storm friend. coming this way. We are back Remember. here tomorrow one more time, 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 o'clock Eastern Thank time. Thank you, sir. Join us for standing on my soapbox. Thank you. Call in, guys, 347-989-0126. Give us a call tomorrow. We're out of here. Um, not even any music today. Bye-bye. Peace. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, 
entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail. It's always happy hour somewhere. And enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 and howdy, everybody. Welcome to Lots of Straight Show. It is Monday, August 13th. We are on week two of the Big Gay Road Trip to Palm Springs from the beautiful Indulgence Palm Springs Resort. Big thank you again to John, Sandy, and Raymond for having us here these four weeks. If you missed the show last week, be sure to catch it on the podcast. You can find us at iTunes and Spreaker and uh, iHeartRadio and all those fun things. Uh, but last week we had Joe Deedle and Ben Zook from Where the Bears Are, Ardio Daily from Bad Boy and Bad Boy Comes Out, Brandon Roth and Michael Vega from their new short film Tomcat. Of course, the great restaurants in town just happens and salads in a jar. And we did a trip to the escape room last week, guys. Lots of fun. Today I am so excited. We have a stellar lineup. We have Frank DeCaro, Jim Colucci, Jason Stewart, Matt Wall, and Food by 849 Restaurant here, you guys. It looks amazing. I will Instagram it before we eat it, but you got to see this stuff. It is good stuff. Tomorrow we're going to have Terry Ray and Mel England from the hit show Electricity that's actually playing in the hotel the next two days. We're going to have Rick Sudi Caradas from the book Rainbow Relatives and Michael Vaccaro from Child of the 70s web series. So lots of fun stuff going on. Before we get started, a big shout-out to my sponsors for the Big Gay Road Trip. Thank you so much, Scott Travis over at CBT Candle, Andrew Christian, Tony Guadagnino, True FM Media. I really appreciate everything, but let's jump right into it. We have a huge show today. My guests, we have Jason Stewart celebrating 25 years as an out LGBT performer, killing it in both stand-up and bringing great characters to life on the screen from... Uh, the Closer, which is one of my favorites, you know, I love myself a little Kira Sedgwick, to Will and Grace, to Birth of a Nation, to his own film like Father. So many great things to talk about. Frank DeCaro is a real triple threat for the show, of course. We're all about entertainment, foodies, and books. He's entertained us for years on The Daily Show and on the Sirius Radio program. He's got two great cookbooks from lots of dead celebrities that I just am in love with. And, of course, touring with Lisa Lampanelli. His husband, Jim Colucci, is here, who has been a huge partner to Frank and all of their specials together. And on his own, he is an amazing author who's brought us insights into Will and Grace, the definitive book on the Golden Girls, and is in the middle of creating a fantastic book all about the love boat, which I'm sure we'll talk about. My buddy Matt Wall is here. He's an actor, co-producer, co-host of the amazing Finding Cupid radio show on UBN. When he's not advanced his entertainment career, he's an executive of the hugely successful brand Lululemon and recently went on behalf of the company to the Love Loud Festival in Utah this past month. We'll talk all about that. And we are so excited to bring Willie Ryan today, co-owner of the amazing restaurant 849 in Palm Springs, and has been a resident of the city for over 20 years, managed two of the busiest and most successful restaurants in the Palm Springs Valley, Christina, make sure everyone's mic is on. Guys, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, hey. I first have to say, those are incredible introductions. Well, I mean, I, you are just so great at this. I, I'm so glad I'm here. Thank you so much. We have incredible careers to talk about. And we can't live up to any of those. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. 
We have uh, many years between us to talk about. We're all of the we're all the same age, and Maddie can catch us up on the <laughs> hip generation of the day here. Oh, I don't think we're the same age. I don't know how you could brought that up. <laughs> I'm hip with the graveyard set. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. I don't think we're that old. No, no. Just Frank DeCrest. The format's a little different. I'm going to ask each of you guys some questions about your careers, and then we're going to have a little roundtable stuff about some sections of the day. But I did promise we're going to let uh, Willie here get in out get the restaurant to run. Yeah, So Willie, welcome to the show. Talk about eight four nine. Thank you. Thank you for having us here. Well, I brought some um, goodies for you to try. We brought uh, it's lunchtime, so brought you one of our favorite items for lunch: the lobster roll. Ah, ahi poke bowl. Poke bowl. Poke bowl. Did you say hole? I think it's rare. Poke bowl was my bowl. favorite thing. And then it's for anyone that might be on a diet or doesn't eat meat or fish, or I bought the pear salad. Yeah. I have, I have some amazing. Yeah? I have to say that I was at your restaurant a number of months ago, and it was Nicholas Snow who has a wonderful show here. And I thought the first, the audience was lovely. It's, it was great. It's fun. It's very just loved it. And the food was delicious, and I was really uh, very pleasant to be surprised that you. Is that your first visit? Uh, no, I've been there once before with my mom. Oh, okay. Yeah, who hates everything. She's a Jewish woman. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, nothing is ever good enough for her. So she went, oh my God, this is great. Right here, it's so nice. Yeah. Now, talk a little bit about the history of the. Sh- of the- Restaurant, you guys opened in September of 2015. Exactly. Is that correct? We're, we're going to celebrate three years in just a few weeks. Um, we opened uh, September 2015. Uh, we opened huge crowds. It was probably one of, I used to run Lizard, uh downtown Palm Springs. And when we opened that restaurant, it was a big start. But when we opened 849, it was just amazing. The, the media frenzy was just insane. So I think we had over a thousand people at our opening night. Which wow! Was really? Wow! Um, and I can honestly say, and very proudly say, that we've enjoyed those huge crowds ever since day one, which is good. As uh, Jason mentioned, it, it's it's very different. Our furniture is uh, eclectic. It's a it's that modern. Um, I, I like to say it's equal parts uh, comfortable, um, equal parts production. Uh, I like to say. Um, beautiful. Beautiful. That's Eclectic. a good word. Eclectic, beautiful, Eclectic. comfortable, yeah. elegant. That's what it is. Equal comfortable and elegant. And talk about the history. I understand it's an old post office, and now you have regular dining, and you have formal dining, and you have patio dining. Talk about the building itself. Can I mail stuff for you? They, 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 we can. We can. Let's I'd like to mail one of those last two rolls back in the <laughs> Yeah. You can get out of LA. I will. We uh, actually, when we. When my business partner, my business partner is uh, John Pascal. He's a local photographer here, celebrity photographer. Oh yeah, I know. From Los Angeles, um, originally. When we opened, when we opened eight four nine, the original contact was to have just a small fifty-seat restaurant, and we couldn't find the right space. That I, when we were looking, I found that that space was available. It used to be, it was as you mentioned, it was a post office. Then most recently, it's been a, a huge consignment store and then a design design store. And when I found that oh, that, that space was available, I literally looked at John and said, if we're going to do this, we might as well do it right. By that, I meant we have something for everyone. If you want to come and have an intimate dinner in a corner for two, you can. If you want to bring a party of 12 and sit in a private room, you can do that also. If you want to have a dinner or a wedding celebration out on the patio, 
you can do that for 150. So we literally have something for everyone, which is really great. Who are the biggest celebrities that come to your restaurant? Uh, the Shah of Sunset got married at our restaurant. Oh, oh my God. They, uh, I don't even know who gets that. Reza? Reza? Reza and Adam. They got yeah, we'll talk about big stars. Big stars. <laughs> big stars. Uh, horrible memory. Horrible memory. Who's that biggest Kay star? Kay Bauer. Oh, yeah. um, you know what's his name? Of course. Jason Stewart was there. So was Frank. Jason Stewart was there. Twice. <laughs> oh, my God. I forget. The, the biggest star was sitting on the patio. By himself? No. He Very mad like No. Very man <laughs> Why? Why? He said why? Well, I don't know. Maybe Very man alive could have fun. I'm not here to judge anybody. There's all sorts of new revelations there. You're asking the wrong question. Well, and John is a fantastic partner. I would love him to curate my Instagram for just a week. The pictures of the facility is fantastic. Good. And he has a local photography business in town as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a celebrity photographer from Los Angeles. That is amazing. And talk a little bit about the origin of the name. I understand you have like some nine dollars specials, and that's kind of what helped bring the name restaurant about. Uh, yes and no. We really, we sort of got lazy. We tried to, we tried to find the, the right name. The store before us, two stores before us, was House H49, and they have a huge logo right in the front entrance. Uh, then Design H49 came in, and we kept going back and forth with different names of the restaurant and everything. We kept using the number 849 in the name. We had Dine 849, uh, various different variations. And then eventually we just said, forget it. We're calling it 849. It's just the address. People know where to find us. So. And then you probably kept saying 849. <laughs> yeah. And then you said, well, that's what people are going to call Now it. when we had the name 849, that's when we decided to come up with a uh, cute logo that says you can eat for nine bucks. So we have a small nine dollar section in the lounge menu. So you can I like that. I like that a lot. Eight or nine. Especially and you're in the people. uptown area, so there's a lot of great shopping and everything there. So you get a lot of people you get a lot of walk ins or is it mostly reservations or how does it work? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, we have a lot we have a lot of reservations. Uh, it's definitely a destination restaurant, but you're you're right. We're in the uptown district, it's just a, a block away from Trina Church and a couple of design showrooms. So people will do find us by just walking. Yeah. Fantastic. And where can they find you on social? What's your website? Where can they find you on social media? 849.com. Um, we're uh, at 849 Instagram, uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook page. We have a uh, um, website. We do catering. We do, uh, if you don't want to come to a restaurant and you want us to come to you, we can, we can do that too. We have a, a really great catering department. Did someone get married in the restaurant? Of course. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's a shop. Yeah, it's a yeah. 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 Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean, Sean? All right, well, Willie Ryan, thank you so much for being here. Lots of great you doing this beautiful spread. Jim Colucci wants to dive into the lobster roll, so we're going to take a quick break. Christina, if you'll do me a favor and queue up Jason and Frank's comedy reel there, we'll play a little bit of comedy for the guys. To listen to while we're on a break and have a little bite to eat here. You're listening to the Straight Show right here on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. I hate getting older. I wish there was an 800 number you could call to stop this shit. I really do. I want to pitch seven and just get out of it somehow. You know you're getting older when you, when you get afraid of things you were never afraid of before. I used to love to go into an amusement park and almost die. And now that I'm getting closer to death, I don't want to go. Um, I 
recently went to Six Flags. I mean, Six Flags. <laughs> Has anybody ever been to Six Flags? Anybody here? Yeah, in, in Magic Mountain? Did you ever go on the Batman ride? Oh, that ride scared the shit out of me. First of all, they strap you in like you're a fucking mental patient. Your legs hang over like you're mini-me. I got so nervous, I felt like my uterus came out through my mouth. <laughs> and I don't even have a uterus. <laughs> I think it was the woman's behind me. Because when I was done with the ride, I was wearing a high pair of high heels, and they were not my own. <laughs> It's awful to get older. It really is. It's just, it's, you know, you know what's really weird about getting old is shopping. I used to love to shop, you know, and now I, I lost some weight recently and I went to Abercrombie and Fitch. Has anybody, the Grove, has anybody ever gone? Oh my God, at the Grove, they have, they have this guy and he stands in front, he doesn't have a shirt, and he stands like this and his pants are all ripped up. I mean, why do I want to buy ripped up pants? What are you, a fucking idiot? <laughs> you know, and I, I, his pants are all ripped up, you know, and he stands like this and he's really hot and I thought he was homeless, so I put a dollar in his pocket and I couldn't get my hand up. I just couldn't get my hand, it was like stuck. And there was this little rip here, you could see just the tip of his penis. And so I walked in the store and I wanted to buy a pair, new pair of jeans, no rip, no tears, no stains, no blood. And, and they have all the jeans in a case, like they're jewelry. <laughs> and then the, the uh, sales girl comes over, you know, she's got a headset on, she looks like, you know, I don't know, Lady Gaga on tour. <laughs> The music is playing really loud, so I can hardly hear her, and, and the lights are going on and off. You know, I'm like being at a concert. Hi, can I help you? I said, I'd like to get a pair of 34s. You know, I'm a, you know, I lost some weight recently. She goes, can we get a pair of 34s for the old guy? <laughs> so I stabbed her. And to get old. You do it. <laughs> Call me. Um. Oh, yeah. So, anyway. So, since I stopped eating so much, I shop all the time. I'm always buying t-shirts and shoes and all sorts of shit and stuff. And there was a while... I like to go to Target. Do we like Target? We do like Target, right? I love Target so much. I, they wanted us to do a gay boycott of them years ago before they... They, they did something that we didn't like. I don't know. You know, we're always getting upset about some shit. So they told us we had a boycott Target. And I thought about it, and I realized I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I like shopping at Target way too much to boycott it. And it's only me. They could change the name of Target to Die, You Fat Faggot, and I still would shop there. I don't care. I like Target. I have one complaint, though. I have one complaint. There was all that talk about the trannies in the bathroom, transsexuals in the bathroom. Sorry, the word tranny. Sorry about that. Transsexuals in the bathroom. There's never a goddamn transsexual in the bathroom when I want one. Never. So all the time, you never find fucking transsexual when you're looking for one. And no one helps you. You know, they don't. Where are the transsexuals? We don't know, sir. That's I didn't drive to three targets for nothing. I'm looking for the girl with something extra. Goddamn it, find it for me. So uh, it's good. But usually when I get to town, I like to explore with my tongue. And no, 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 not like that at all. So anyway, but I did usually, but I found this place. We were in, where the hell were you? Springfield, Missouri. The best, now here's the thing. You do know that donuts are the new cupcakes, right? You know this? They are. And I'm telling you, and it, if you're fat and you don't know this, you're just not keeping up. Okay, you're not. So 
Get with the program, okay? It's true. So I found this place called Hertz Donuts. So anyway, those donuts were, they were so beautiful. And so, some were covered in, in like glittery sugar, and some were covered in sprinkles. Some were covered in, in breakfast cereal, you know, like Fruity Pebbles, which, which is my name on Grindr. Check it out. It's good. Fruity Pebbles. Look it up later. And those donuts were so beautiful and so delicious. I didn't know whether to eat them or fuck them. I didn't know. No. All righty. So we are back. That was the... I'm over, I'm over Sir, speaking. Do not have the glazed ones, okay? You, you never know. You just never know. I'm sorry. Frank, I stepped on your glazed donuts routine. I feel so bad all of a sudden. But we're good. Oh, that was a dirty one? I did. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, pl- I played that in your Target one because those are fun. Uh, those are fun oh, to me. And Jason, I played the Getting Older because I'm feeling older every day. So we had a couple of fun clips too. <laughs> well, welcome back, guys. We are here talking with Jason Stewart, Brent DeCaro, Jim Colucci, and Matt Wall right here at the Left the Straight Show live from Palm Springs. And let's go to Jason first since he took a big bite of lobster roll, so that'll be kind of fun. We are going to hear some chewing in between yeah, here, first, guys. That's <laughs> Jason, congratulations, 25 years of coming out on Geraldo as an LGBT performer. How is that looking back on it? It's interesting because I hadn't seen the clip in a long time. And uh, I watched it. And what was really the most interesting thing about it is I I was so young. I, I, I really, I was so young and I really didn't know what was going on, because this was before Rosie, before Ellen, it was 1993, <clears throat> there really was no template to being out. A lot of people told me not to do it. Right. They said it would ruin my career, club owners, casting director, friends, agents. <clears throat> that was, and it's just a little ironic that now you're doing all these other straight roles, quote unquote, and it's a whole different genre for 20, 25 years, but you're just... You're I don't think that I would. Straight pool as you are in the gay pool. Right? I don't think that I would have um, really been able to see that at that time. It was so. I remember on the show I had gotten sick the day in New York that we filmed it. I was so nervous, and I remember being on the show and being so frightened and not knowing how to handle myself. And I remember there was a woman in the audience, who was a, an older woman around sixty years old, who was uh, talking, asking a question. You know, that's when they used to run into the audience, like Phil Donahue. And, and I'll never forget it because she looked sort of like Shelley Winters. And she kept asking me over and over again, are you going to be kissing people on the street in front of other children? And I remember that I had the, the, the wherewithal to think and go, hey, you know, not everything we do is sexual. Do you ever kiss your husband, I said to her, when you see him? And she said, yes. I said, well, why can't I do that and have the same rights as you? And that was in 1993. So I think that I had this uh, innate ability, I guess, to see – um, what it would be like for us. And I didn't realize that watching it. I was like, oh, I had some uh, foresight, you know, to right. do that. And I didn't realize so that was sort of cool. And uh, that started my first tour, the coming out tour. And it changed my entire career, the, tra- the trajectory of everything that I've done. Because it was not something that I ever planned to do. I remember I was um, in the gay pride parade in Los Angeles. I was sitting in a car promoting those Comedy Central specials out there. And I remember sitting in the car waiting to go, like, as you do in those parades. And Rose, not Rose O'Donnell, um, Lady Delaria walked by and screamed, hey, why didn't you come out years ago? And I looked at her and I took a beat and I went, 
I just didn't know I could. And I remember thinking that that I, it didn't seem like it was a possibility. It never even occurred to me. And then, you know, the career would go on. And then lately in the last 10 years, what happens is there really aren't a lot of gay roles written. So what I did around 10 years ago is I stopped touring and I went back to class. I started working on different characters and different parts of myself. I changed my voice. I worked on my voice to change my voice. Not to be gay, but to... Um, do you do it? Do do you do it? <laughs> well, that was just not true because I chewed it up. That was my first thing was on the closer that I did in 2009. I started talking like this, and all of a sudden, this guy, and da, da, da. and all of a sudden, that created an opening, which really got me to Tangerine because that role got me to another role that got me to that role. And if you don't have what I really realized is if you don't have the the tape of the the film or television roles on that, you're not going to get the other roles because they have to see it. And if you're someone of a certain age, they're going to wonder why you didn't get the part before. You don't think, you know, in the 80s, I couldn't get arrested. No one would even talk to me. You know, they'd see me as some funny guy, and they'd always say, hey, we're waiting for that special role, you know, that special thing that didn't, you know, <laughs> special. And so then every time my, my landlord would say, I need the rent, I said, we're waiting for that special time. That I <laughs> you know, and it, it really what it does is that people don't realize, look, now, 25 years later, they don't realize that if you don't have the opportunities to have what other people had before you, you have to recreate yourself and you have to always be catching up. And finally feeling like I don't have to catch up anymore. Nice. It's okay that where I'm at. And uh, the, the last thing that I think that really did it for me, and Frank interviewed me on his show, and a lot of people were so, so um, supportive when I did Birth of a Nation, and there was a sense of Pride of other people that I got this part that that it sounds really egotistical, but I don't think it doesn't sound that way. It, sounds, it was so gratifying to see the people really, um, other gay men especially, were very uh, inspired by it and also felt that there was possibility. And I, it made me feel so good. And people were really uh, happy for me. And it was just, there was this wealth of of support in that area saying, hey, you know, we can do this. We can really do this if we do the work. We can show up. And if one breaks through, there's another person that breaks through. And that's always my goal is, is to break the ground so other people can come and join me. Jack Lemon used to say something all the time. He used to say, when you go up in the elevator, bring people with you. And that's something that's really important to me because I don't want to be alone, you know. I've heard you talk in other interviews, too, how while you were working opposite Army Hammer, you guys had a very similar style. That had me kind of gratified to be treated uh, just an actor, not a gay actor, just a regular actor. No, I mean, other actors. I never felt that way a lot. I mean, comedians, it's different. There'd be a lot of teasing with comedians because it's more of a boys thing, a boys club. But you don't, yeah, but you don't really work with them. You, you work with them, but not in the same, uh, uh, you're not acting with them. Army had the same work ethic I had. He had the same, he loved to rehearse, I loved to rehearse. He, uh, we would just like finish each other's, we just would start doing stuff. And, and he was so open. Lunch? Finish each other's lunch? I didn't He had Timothy Chalamet's peach for dessert. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> called Peach Melba. <laughs> Melba Moore. Peach Melba Moore. Right. <laughs> he said dating himself completely. And now you have a lot of great stuff coming up. We have the line, immortal, all these great things. Uh, talk about the trajectory you have going on now. 
Um, I've got, I went from the immortal playing a private investigator to the spyware, a very intimidating guy that talks like this, very much like that, to playing a um, anti-abortion leader in a film with uh, the legal way in common produced. It's going to be on um, uh, DirecTV, right, DirecTV, and uh, I play anti-abortion leader, which is sort of a modern-day version of my character in uh, Birth of a Nation, in a way, to doing a little film called Hank, where I actually got to play a gay guy, an older gay guy, and I did honestly let myself go, because he wanted me to be heavier, so I just ate whatever I wanted for a couple weeks. And um, uh, I got to play that part. It was really, that was the hardest thing to do, because it was such a quiet, sweet guy, and I didn't have to do, I had to pull back, and everything had to be very small. Somebody said something to me about it that I thought was really interesting. He said, your character is like pressure. I said, what? He said, yeah, when you're a leaper in life, you leap and do things. You go after stuff. This is a, a person who did the smallest thing, and that was a, a big thing for them. They would just take a step, and that would be a really uh, a wonderful thing for this character. So that's sort of how I based it. And then next week or week after I'm playing an immigration officer, uh, Darren D. who produced uh, the Florida Project and um, Tangerine that I worked in a couple of years ago, Kind of groundbreaking in so many ways, of course. Well, just to play that, to play that kind of, I never, ever would have thought that they would let me play these kind of roles. I mean, I used to go cops, detectives, doctors that were really doing something important. Anybody was in charge of something that had respect, never. I, mean, I, I always used to say I play a manager who's in charge of something, but yet has no power. I used to joke about that all the time. And, you know, it's sort of uh, interesting that I'm being allowed to grow as, as an actor, it really is, um, I'm so grateful for it. I mean, it, it makes me emotional in a way, because I, I just never thought it would, you know, it would happen like this. And hopefully there'll be more, and there'll be, you know, regular, maybe I'll get a regular, and I have an agent that's terrific, that actually gets me, that I actually have conversations with, and we're really planning things. It's a, it's a whole different uh, place of respect. And I really have one person I always want to say his name is Nate Parker. And talk a little bit about your film, Like Fathers, getting some great buzz and all these award circuits. Okay. Tell everyone a little bit about that. I, when I did Birth of the Nation, I was so uh, at a creative place that I wanted to create a uh, something, you know. And I was doing a reading at the Writers Guild of uh, maybe we would do readings of uh, all these uh, different uh, films or uh, web series or um, pilots, and you would do like 10 minutes of it. So I did this little film called My Father. It was really more like a play. And it was about this older patrician father, very patrician, whose uh, son, who was dying, was very ill and wanted his son to forgive him. And I said, could I do him sort of Jewishy and sort of like my dad? And I made a New York rather than Polish, and I made this sort of, you know, grumpy kind of dad. It's sort of an older version of my uh, character on a closer. And I added uh, bookends of it to the film of a wife and a, care, uh, a caretaker, which is Terry Ray plays it in, which you're going to have on tomorrow. And I got Denise Dowd, who is this wonderful actress that played my wife, who happens to be black, and this guy named Nick uh, Few, who's also black, and I had them play my son and my wife, and I just never mentioned it, which some people thought was crazy, but I thought, I can't do, I don't want this kind of movie. So um, we did it, and we, I think we did it for 12 or 13 film festivals. Uh, we won, we were nominated for like 
five, six, seven awards, and we got, I got that back to one festival and the best uh, uh, short runner up. And now it's going to be, it's on this new, it's on a new network uh, thing called, what is it called? Deco? Deco. Yeah, Deco, 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 D-E-K-K-O-O. Bought it, and it premiered last month on there. And you can also see it on Amazon Prime because they launch all the other things. Great. Last thing I want to talk about, too, I want to thank you for your work. You have been co-chair for the SAG-AFTRA National LGBT Committee. You won an award for it. She was just an award. Talk about your work there. Oh, wow. So 12 years ago, 13 years ago, after um, I kept seeing all these actors, and I thought, but they didn't have a place. We had a black committee. We had an Asian committee, a Latino committee, a women's committee, people, you know, everything, but they didn't have any for actors. And at the time, um, for gay actors? Yeah, they didn't have anything for gay actors. And um, at the time, Isaiah Washington, had that whole thing happened on Grey's Anatomy with T.R. Knight. Right. And there was no place for anybody to call. Now, I had been in a movie called The Day Without a Mexican. And I had been calling SAG because we didn't get our residuals. And I knew it had been sold to this company. So I called a lawyer there. So then I got a call back from a lawyer at SAG. And he said to me, Jason, I said, yes, I have been calling about this job. You know, and no one's called me back. Da, 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 da. And he said, Jason, we're not calling about that. We'd like to start your committee. <laughs> I just, <laughs> because I sent Melissa Gilbert this letter, faxed it that over and over, and she never responded. And then I uh, finally, he, and what was interesting, in the room at the time was a Jewish man, uh, Rosen, Alan Rosenberg, who was the president at the time, a black woman, Anna Marie Johnson, an Asian woman, Sumi Haru, and Duncan Crafter Island. A, a man who has, who's a gay man who has a transgender daughter. So that's what it took in the room to start this committee. And we have been doing it for 13 years. We've created this really great thing called the Schmooze Fest at the Office every year where, where actors can come and be filmmakers. We've had panels everywhere. We had a big study at the Williams Institute uh, about openly gay actors. And now we've added singers, comedians, news captures, uh, radio personalities since the unions have merged, and I continue to, to our next big thing is we're going to be doing, um, uh, we're, 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 I think it's a new fest in New York, and we had just done the spruce up here, and I'm really proud of it. They gave me this sheet, Tom Sensi, who's this incredible journalist, who wrote a piece on, on me called The Birth of an Actor, that was, he, he was so kind and supportive, it just was just so uh, wonderful, and he wrote this article, and he uh, had, given, had talked to the people I guess and I was, in, I was actually in Palm Springs visiting a friend and they said you must come to this thing about medical, they were doing a panel on medical stuff and I said I'm not, I don't know anything about that I'm, you know, I'm just, I barely graduated high school, you know, and he said hey, why do you want me to come and just be in the audience and he said, Jason, we're giving you an award <laughs> and it's the Sheets of Sister Award which is sort of a um, based on Elizabeth Warren on that persistence to go through stuff. So I was really, really shocked, you know. Congratulations. And, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That was really nice. Let's go over to the amazing Mr. Frank Takaro here, who oh. has been uh, going on so many great things, starting as a writer primarily, then doing your own specials about Oscars and things for selves, and on movies that went to radio, and now this comedian career that's fantastic with Lisa. How has this transition been for you? I mean, you've been seeing all the changes. I know. I should pick something and speak to it, I think. Uh, 1993 was actually a big year for a lot of us because that I, came, I was a journalist in those days, and I came out in print. And I think what you and I did was we heard the call, and we were like, i got to do something. 
And it was we were pretty much alone, weren't we, in those days? Well, there were a handful of us, but, it, but yeah. what we were, we were brave, and I give a, a pat up on the back for that. But it's sort of, we also were the type of, well, what else am I going to be? You know, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't really, and it wasn't. I mean, if I kept my mouth shut, perhaps I could have kept in the closet, but it, that was certainly not going to happen. I never kept my mouth shut ever. And but it, it was a time where you're just like, look, people are dying, and we're not, and we've got to get together and do something. So I mean, I came out in print as a gay humor column, '93, right? right? It was the week that Clinton was inaugurated, and I came out in the page of the New York Newsday. And honestly, you know, it was a different time then. And I had come off a job before that. And I just mentioned this to someone, and the further I get away from it, the more it hits me in the head like a brick. <laughs> in a job interview in 1985, the editor said to me, it was for a fashion writing job, they said, well, how do you feel about the faggot factor of your job? And I said, well, and she said, you know, that you'd be perceived as gay. And that was okay in an interview for a job. That's amazing. And so, and now I'm staggered by that. But it was, but I got it, and I, you know, I, I was very glib about it at the time, and, and you know, but sounds very salting almost. Yeah, but it was just stupid. It's sort of like it was a time where people thought they could do that, and there was a time where coming out in the newspaper, you thought, I hope no one knows my address because right. I could come and kill me, which I think everybody worries about even more now. But it, you know, with the internet, but uh, it, it was a time. But it, but I don't think we were doing. I think we were just somebody. The, it was time. That's why you and I came out. Oh, and, 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 I thought it was exhausting to be in it and to have to lie all the time and not be able to be with yourself. As you get older, you want to talk about what's going yeah, on. And life. I think, I mean, I got self-conscious about a lot of stuff, but no one's like being gay more than I do. It's like, I think it's really fun. <laughs> you know, I, I really, I, it was like, it's, you know, I would say it's like American Express membership has privileges. Carson Crestley likes being gay. He does. Carson does like that. There you go. <laughs> So, yeah. I had Guy Brandon on the show right before I came out here. He gave all the credit. You guys, you were there, his inspiration. That, you don't know how that made my day. He, See, get, he specifically mentioned you and me. And so Guy Brandon, they pocket smooches from really? Jewel Queen. Yeah. That really touches my heart. Thank you for saying yeah, that. No, because you, cause you oh, do. Wow. It's not like you're sitting around going, well, where, where's my parade? You know, right. it's not really that. Sure. But you do, want, you do want to be counted and go, you know, it was kind of a big deal that we did this when we did it. Exactly. And, um, and just because you don't remember it doesn't mean it didn't happen or that we didn't pave the way for y'all to, to do what you're doing there. But that's, you can't dwell on that either because it's like I could do more fun shit than anybody. Right, I sure. Had, so it's a good time. You know, and, and, and Did to you be able to change your writing at all after you oh came out? Or was it, oh, yeah, my writing became way better. But it was a common thing. I, the best thing I ever did was in, in those years, well, I just had a couple of things. It was the whole thing about that if gays were going to be let into the military, I, that, that uh, straights were going to be let into the fashion industry, and what a catastrophe that was going to be. <laughs> so I did a, and that piece went really well, and that got published a couple of times. But I did a piece on, uh, on Batman uh, Forever. And I said that gayest they, costume of all time. Yeah, I said it was yeah, like the gayest thing ever. So I wrote this whole thing about how basically Batman are a couple. Yeah, and, yeah. and I did this piece in, in New York Newsday, and I said that, it, of course, it's not true. I said, because it, if it really were gay, it would be called Batman for Gays. And it would be the sequel to Batman Returns a Sweater. Which I love that joke. And I had a fight to get that joke in the newspaper. Oh my and goodness. then the phone rang the next day, really? and I thought, oh my God. Yeah. I, all right, the editor was like, that's not funny. And I was like, Batman returns the sweater. It's, yeah, it's funny. It's not funny. It's not funny. Anyway, so the next day the phone rings, please hold for Joel Schumacher. 
And I'm like, holy crap, what yeah. do I do now? He's going to be, I didn't know he was a gay. He was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? He's a director. And I pick up the phone, and, and it's Brian, Joel Schumacher. And he said, hi. And I'm thinking, I'm going to just kiss my ass here, you know, big time. And he said, Frank, Batman Returns a Sweater is the funniest effing thing I've ever seen in a newspaper in my life. And I felt so How vindicated. Cool and it was great. And then it went out on the wire, the way newspaper stuff used to. So other newspapers would run it in their newspaper, and that joke was taken out because my editor had to have his say or oh. somebody did. And it was like, well, you know what? Joel Schumacher and I have the case gene, <laughs> and we get why that never turns into sweater. It's a great joke. He came to being a very big art director. Yeah, and, and, and he's a window director, too. Yeah, that whole thing. With his whole... Love, I, I love him. And, but it was really, it was such a different time. But, but I've gotten to do so many different things. And this latest thing of getting to do stand-up, I mean, I was very, you know, there was a, remember that actress, Gloria Rubin, she was on ER? Sure. Yeah. Well, Tina Turner called and said, would you come be a backup singer? And so she's like, sure. And she went and did it. Well, when Lisa Lampanelli, who's playing to huge audiences, called this, look, you've been doing sit-down comedy for 12 years. You can do this. Come with me on the road. You do it. What do you say? No, I'm not. You know, I mean, I give myself a lot of credit for at least going off. And you rise to the occasion. And, and Jason was there. I didn't take it seriously. I was dabbling with a toe in it. I had to push you. When you moved out here or something, you came. I had to push you to do my show. I did a show at the Laugh Factory. Uh, yeah. I had to push you because you didn't want to. And it's so funny. It. I got to see you at Mountain here in West Virginia when you Lisa came to you there. And you, you're so good at it. So it's just, was it a natural fit or was the first couple times? The first one was tough. And, you know, it was, and it was the, the fan showroom at the Venetian. So it's sort of, oh, good. Let's play to a thousand people the first time. And it'll be in Las Vegas at a legendary hotel. You're like, we're trying to do that deep end. Yeah. And you do it. But um, I had. The jokes were going over, but I had notes, and and Lisa was like, she 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 went over, she said, I want to work on you with some stuff. So I went to her apartment in New York, and she said, uh, get up and do your act And I said, oh, I don't have my notes. And she said, good, because you're never using them again. <laughs> and I said, but, and she said, if it's not funny enough to remember, it's not funny enough. So get up and do everything you remember. And so I got up and did what I remembered. And she said, you, and I got done. She said, you do realize you kind of did almost your entire act. And she said, yeah. She said, no more notes. She said, not paying for someone with a note card. Nice. And nobody needs that. It's like you get up, you do stuff that's really funny. So I put on my silver shoes and I put on my cute little outfit and, and I do my thing and and um, and it's been fun. I mean, I am at a little bit of a loss because I don't know what to do as a solo person now, and I'm working on that in a lot of different ways because people know me for other things. And if you're a radio guy, they say you when you went to, for an acting uh, audition, right. they tell you, oh, he's a person now. So you're kind of written off because you're not an actor. And it's like, and if you're, you know, and then if you're the radio guy and you want to do something else, there are a million excuses. But you know what? You just keep doing it. He knows this. Well, keep doing your thing. There you go. You, you actually did it. I mean, you, she pushed you in the deep end and you swam. But that was that, always my career was the deep end. Yeah, you know? that's what that is, is, is that you pushed it and swam. And now as an actor, you have to do the same thing. Yeah. And people don't know this. I would say this for, for about Lisa. Lisa, before she became really famous, was a teacher. She was a stand-up a coach, and she is, people see her as this body kind of thing, but she's the sweetest, uh, kindest, you know, we didn't even know each other. And I got her number, I called her one day, and she takes the call, and she's just incredibly gracious and kind. She reminds me, in a sense, of Joan Rivers in that way, that she was Joan Rivers' body, and that when you would talk to her as another comic, she really... She has a lot of respect. And, and by total coincidence, I was doing Gotham Live, Gotham Comic Live. Yes, you're right. She, and I was lucky enough that she was the host. Oh, that's great. Nice full I, I, 
I, all, my entire career, I was 20-something. I was a columnist at the Detroit Free Press. Nobody gets that opportunity at 22 or whatever. Then I get to New York, and I'm, I'm having a good time with the newspaper there, and then I end up at The Daily Show, which is like the first TV I ever did. It's the coolest show on television. And who are the other captains? Well, it's Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert and John Smith right, and Ed Helms and Louis Black. You know, and so you're working with all these people. Just a few people. And, and, you, and me. And so I'm, I'm working with them. And then, you know, Lampanelli is like, come and do this with me. And, and I, the, the only thing I can I give myself real credit for is I will rise to the occasion. And if you, you can be really stern, if, if I really, I like a stern taskmaster if they're really smart. It's like, I will, I would rather, don't BS me, I don't need that. It's like, tell me how to make this better, show me, push me out of the deep end, I will make it work. And, and so that was really I've been lucky enough to do that, and and you know you're but this there is a point you get but you do it yeah, you know right. and you're, like, and you're like well I'll work. and people are like well, what are you doing I love people like you need to get back to work it's like I'm not sitting home watching eating bonbons <laughs> you know and like sitting home going to the gym well yeah and let's talk about that yeah, yeah, Lisa's not only taskmaster on stage but she was part of the transformation that helped you. Single-handedly bring back the T-shirt industry with your <laughs> and fit in one chair. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, talk about that journey. That's got to be uh, it was. She called me. It was two Easter's ago, I believe. Easter, Easter of 2016, and uh, so that weekend, and she called me. And she said, "I got a great idea for your uh, for a, a sitcom we can do together." Come to my house. So I get to her house. And I hear the deadbolt lock in the door, <laughs> like an Ilocano prison movie, okay? And it's like, holy crap. So anyway, uh, and there was no idea. And she said, I knew you'd come because you're a money-grubbing same whore. And I was like, thank you. So, um, and so hey, yes, there we go. Money-grubbing same whore. Party one. So uh, anyway, so she sat me down and she said, cardiologist told you you need to lose weight. You know you need to lose weight. You don't listen to anybody. You're going to listen to me. Your family now, you're not dying on my watch. You're either losing 30 pounds by Gay Pride weekend. She counted the days, and it turned out to be that. <laughs> she said 30 pounds between April and the end of June, or you're going to see my bariatric surgeon for a consultation. You don't have to get the job, but you have to. So if you have to get the job, you don't have to get the job. <laughs> The way I look at it, it's a job. It feels like a surgery. job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like yeah. a job. Take surgery. Care. Sorry, you don't have to get the surgery, but you have to go and have this consultation if you don't miss the weight. And I was like, I'm so scared of uh, operations. It's hard work. I would be afraid of leaks. Well, that's hard, <laughs> too. Oh, that's true. But it's somebody he's more afraid of than surgery, and that's there's a small list. And yeah, Lisa's one of the oh, ones. Yeah. I adore her. Yeah, I'm not on the list. I'm not afraid of my husband. No. You don't know me very well. Yeah. But wait, but so, and then... Uh, the radio show ended on our 12th anniversary. They called us in and said, go Very away. unexpected, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it is. And it turned out to be the best thing that's going to happen. However, I was at the time, I was furious. So I was like, you fired the 317-pound guy. Wait, you see, are you? I love okay. that. So the fear of Lisa and the spite of them, against them, that I was, I'll show you what you're really gay. And, you know, but it ends up being, you know, I did make lemonade out of the lemons of it. The only thing is, I used to make lemon meringue pie and lemon <laughs> pancakes. Now it's just lemonade with some blend in it. But but so yeah, really, but I lost 105 pounds and I work out. Uh, I work out four or five days a week and I count calories even though I scarf stuff I'm not supposed to. And 
Um, but that's that's the way it is. You know, you got to go back and yeah, the responsibility. Well, just being responsible, just knowing what you're eating, as opposed to I think after you've done it so long, you just know in your head anymore. I don't yeah. count it. But it's hard. It's not easy. There's no, no, it's not. One day is easy. You know? coming, I yep. say, yeah. No, especially yeah. without the surgery. I mean, I've, I've told you off air over the years that you've been a real inspiration to me. And the surgery, I needed because I was an extra 150 pounds past you. So it, for me, it was, it was kind of a necessity. But I just admire so much you can do it on your own because the surgery made me change my eating. But when you still have to change what you do on your own and you still have those cravings before, you have the inner fat kid and you're wondering, well, just one of these donuts is a good hour or something. How that's kind yeah, of no, it, hard is, it is hard, but I and I know that if it, if I if it if the weight finds its way home, I'm gonna have to get the surgery. It's like that's, that's right. the way it goes. Like I cannot go back to being a, a, a 48 waist and a 56 jacket and, sure. and and being miserable and not doing anything. And, and Jim will tell you, I mean, I was the guy who I wouldn't walk, I wouldn't climb stairs, I wouldn't, I didn't want to leave. You know, it wasn't Gilbert Grape. However, right. I didn't want to do anything fun. I was no before she even. I know she did. That was my whole impetus to do it. I, I was following your journey, and I came out here last May and uh, visited, and I came on the train. Stayed in the sleeping car, but going into the train is worse than an airplane bathroom. I had to squeeze in sideways, spin to whichever business you had to do, and we came, we spent like $2,000 to go to the big TCM festival they do every year yeah, for all yeah. the movies. And I could barely walk to half the movies. And it's like, I, the hell with this. I can't do this anymore. I have to do, you, you finally get to the point where it's like, no, no more. I'm not going to do this anymore. Because yeah. you so, want your life back. Exactly. You, don't, you don't want to see a broken escalator as a tragedy. You know, it's just, it's just like, oh, I'll walk. What the hell do I care? Come on, let's go. And, and I've become that person, which is, is exciting right. for me. I'm a much better, I'm still a pain in the ass, but I'm a much better spouse to my husband. I'm more fun to be around. I really like to do things. I, I, three of the five days I look forward to going to the gym. There are two where I'm kind of like, oh, I need this so much. Right. But, you know, <laughs> but you do it anyway. And then you get to that point. I mean, I've got, I used, when I started, the cardiologist that said I needed to lose weight three years ago or so, uh, I could not finish the stress test the 10 minutes on the thing, and I jog three and a half miles. Oh, that's amazing. Now, at, at an un, and I'm under 11 minutes for a mile, which for me is a big deal. That was part of my problem. I was a heavy guy, but I was healthy as hell. I had great numbers and everything. Yeah, me too. I had no problem with anything. I passed all the stress tests, but I was just a big blob. And it's, it's, it fooled you into thinking that you're okay, but you're really not. We had that feeling. Yeah. Exactly. You know, now, though, I'm like, you got, A, you have to stay Slimmer, you know, and right. the black, I have about 20 pounds that sure. I have, can't get off that I want to lose. And also, you can't die because then it'll go, well, it's fat for us. Of course you You know, I don't want to be that. I don't want to live now. I don't want to live out of spite. It's funny when it serves me No, but you know that's the advice. Anytime someone used to be fat and they're thin now and they die, you're like, of course. Or if they used to do drugs and now they're like, of course they did. Look what they did to themselves. They're dead. You know, right. now, you're, oh, now you're a normal size, you're handsome. Guy, you know, and I honestly noticed a difference in you. Yeah, I'm not I, I evil anymore. Well, there, there, was a shield, there was sort of a shield around you. Know, yeah, well, I it is armor. You know that. It's oh, yeah. Hard. You don't have to deal with me. Exactly. And, and exactly. if you, if you, I don't get the part, or if you don't want to date me that before I do. And, you know, and it's, it, you know it, it, it's like, I can blame that. Anything wrong, you can blame on me. Uh, and then you're like, oh, there you go. Bad. But I guess you don't like me. 
Oh, we move on to your beautiful hubby, but I want to talk about this book you teased about. Oh, my God. You have a new book coming out that sounds amazing. I I hope that's the cover you posted on. No, I haven't posted. No, no. Oh, it's it's funny to tell her. Herman Munster and Drag, and I said my book is going to be pretty. Talk about that. Yeah, I'm doing a book called Drag, Combing Through the Big Waves of Show Business. And it is the people who did drag that it, it, it was a look at drag, kind of a you know really in totality of what drag and show business means. But it's very personal because the people I've chosen are the people I adore. Whether whether it's Flip Wilson as Geraldine in the '70s or Sylvester saying to Joan Rivers, "I'm not a drag queen, I'm Sylvester," you know, and <laughs> Divine as the most beautiful woman sure. alive, you know. And so it's all those people, but it's also Jim Bailey on the, the Lucy, oh my God. you know, here's, here's Lucy. And, um, Are you doing any contemporary? And then, yes, and then it's like all the people, it's, it's a lot of the major people who were on Drag Race. But then that whole group of people who were never on Drag Race and are still legendary, oh, I love that. like Mark. Lady Bunny and Barbara Jean oh, and, and uh, Joey Arias and Dina Martina and uh, Coco, Miss, Peru. Coco Peru, of course, and Jackie Beast, the oh, greatest. And, you know, so it looks at, at kind of everybody who's really good. They're the no, big ones. So, no, When's that going to come out? It comes out next spring from Rizzoli. And if I finish photo editing, which is our <laughs> and I don't want to, I think I gave you the words. You missed the picture. I don't care. Stop it. You know, but I have to get in there and, and monkey with it. But even people who are lesser well known, I, I kind of found people who kind of had names in cities like Rochester and, and uh, um, you know, more Mr. Mr. Charlie Brown from Atlanta, who's probably he's like between 65 and 70. I love but, that. You're giving them. You know, and Darcel. From Portland, who's the oldest still working drag queen? Oh, his interview is so funny because I said, "How did uh, there was, I think there was a Canadian drag queen who was in the Guinness Book of World Records for less than a year, and somebody sent your information like, oh no, Darcel is actually older than you.' So they took the title away from the Canadian drag queen. And the last line of the interview, if I recall correctly, is, oh, she was pissed.' And so you have <laughs> this eighty-something drag queen. I lived in Portland for four years. I remember that bar. I remember seeing uh, quite a few. He was very inspirational. Yeah. He's got a 16 year old son and a granddaughter, and they work in his table. <laughs> That's America, people. That's what I'm looking for. Get them. Logo, dollars. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Spent a dollar if they made a show. If they made no. a show. Yeah. That, were, that was made for actual gay people. Right. But they laughed on it. Yeah. Forget that. You know, that you build it, you know. Okay. You and I should have each had. Two or three shows canceled on logo line. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, it did break my heart, honestly. Oh, they didn't break. care about us? Oh, yeah, they didn't care about us or anybody. We we believe me, we weren't alone. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was the whole thing. Yeah, I didn't care about those people. Everybody was me. All right, well, let's keep on the writing, Zane. Let's move over to your fantastic husband here, Jim Colucci. Oh, that Love, you are my entertainment god because you keep me in the know of everything. And it's, it's like show prep for my show half the time. So I appreciate that. But you have written. Such fun books about Will and Grace, original kind of Golden Girls fun books. But now this Golden Girl Forever book back on the bestseller, the definitive book, in my opinion, on Golden Girls. Talk about way back when you're writing for you've been writing. You were writing for Frank before. You were writing for yourself. Talk about your Frank. You're writing again. I, I had always wanted to write for TV, which I'm doing some of, and write about TV is the next best thing. And I was working a day job in advertising and bored by it. And uh, I started working for TV Guide partly through Frank because 
it was, you know, it, it's what I heard in you guys' stories, too. Always say you can do something if, if you're asked, and then figure it out later. Unless it's like, you know, you always hear stories about how actors, Western actors, say, sure, I can ride a trick, uh, trick pony, and I can well, ride a trick pony. Right. Can you, she said, with the roller stick racket, can you do it? She said, sure, I can. I roll the right. Are you kidding? <laughs> exactly. I can roll the Ah! And so maybe I wouldn't do that because it's something that's going to result in bodily harm. Maybe you shouldn't say you can do it if you can't. But other, short of that, uh, you know, just say you can do it. So the opportunity came because The Sopranos was a relatively new show. And if you remember, this must have been around the year 2000, 2001. They did this kind of gimmick, publicity gimmick, where they were doing a, 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 an open call open casting call for different characters. And they didn't say specifically one type. It was just anybody who wanted to come. Really? And, and it was at this high school in New Jersey that's not far from New York City, about 10 miles outside of the Holland Tunnel. And they, Frank originally, they assigned Frank to go cover it. But Frank had written about the show quite a bit, including interviewing them all face-to-face. And so they realized, I think, at the last minute, wow, they're going to recognize Frank. They're going to know that this is not a real person, you know, real person who's auditioning. So... His Frank's editor said, "Would I do it? I guess it's not. Jim, right? Thank yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've got a vowel at the end of my name. I can pass. Not that you had to. It was they were looking for all kinds right. of people. Right. Certainly in New Jersey, a lot of Italians were auditioning. And so I went, and it turned out it was a disaster because the casting call itself was so overwhelmed by like tens of thousands of people who showed up in this small town in New Jersey that the cops shut it all down or whatever. Oh, so no. It wasn't <laughs> much of a story that I ended up reporting." But it was good because it got me in the door of TV Guide, and that got me to be able to query book agents. And I luckily just really through this is where the opportunity just comes in the form of luck. I had written a book proposal to write a book about the Golden Girls because as a fan of TV books growing up before the Internet, when that was all you could get, a book, they oh, I really bought them because I loved the show and wanted to know more about the show, and they always let me down. They were always terrible, terribly written, right. really quickly done. And so I always thought, well, I want to do one that really is the kind of book I want to read, and I want to do it about the show that I love the most, The Golden Girls. And so I, I got connected with an agent through a friend, and she had an open writing assignment to write a book about the Today Show. And I'm the absolute worst person to do that, to do that because I'm a night owl, and I've seen the Today Show maybe a dozen times in my life. And so I'm certainly no expert. So, but, you know, it's an opportunity. So I did audition, and I didn't get it. But I was, this agent said to me, as she was telling me, I didn't get the Today Show book. She said, by the way, NBC has another book they want written about Will and Grace. Would you be interested in that? Oh, my God. And that's where it's like, uh, you mean the, my second favorite show that I've been fighting to try to get a job on? <laughs> sure, I'll do it. And if you're familiar with Will and Grace, there's the, episode, there's the running gag that finally pays off in an episode that Jack has been stalking Kevin Bacon. And then when the episode Kevin Bacon finally comes out with Grace, right. he hires Jack as his assistant, and his first order of business is find out who's been stalking me and get rid of them. And I felt that that was the same thing with me, getting hired to write a book about Will and Grace, because I feel like I've been stalking them, trying to get a job. <laughs> I've been bothering them by phone and email. When I show up, are they going to know it's the same guy? If they did, they were nice about it. So it was great getting to hang out there for three weeks to observe and then turn it around into a book, and that led to them actually being able to sell the Golden Girls book. That's amazing. It was such a good book. It was so fun. I love, I'm the same way. I've always loved the behind the scenes book. I like to hear what's going on. You're so detailed all the way, like on this one from the wallpaper and then from your different stories. It just, you feel like you're a fly on the wall, which is what you really want to see. Because a lot of them are kind of poorly written. But you were right there with having all this insight. And now you do it professionally for your entertainment writing. I mean, you go to all the, you just went to TCA. Talk about that a bit. How was that? 
Well, that's funny. The TCA is the Television Critics Association convention, and it's either in, in the winter, it's in Pasadena, and in summer, it's in Beverly Hills. But it is over two weeks every day, including weekends, every, from 8 a.m. until midnight, going to either events or panels talking about shows. And I know that to complain about that sounds like first world problems. Because yes, we're sitting in a glamorous hotel ballroom and we're meeting celebrities or whatever. But you are you do have to be on all the time. It's competitive to get stories and other reporters are trying to get stories too. Uh, and it's very hard after because we are at peak television as they say, five hundred something shows on the air. Right. After two weeks your brain is so scrambled. You're like, Who said what on what panel? What notes I wait, what show is he on? I, you you really like, and you're only really four or six weeks off of the upfronts, because I remember that's when I had you on the show a couple weeks ago, I mean, six weeks ago maybe or so, you are off upfronts, so it's got to be kind of jumbled all together. It is jumbled, and, and even then, the upfronts, although that's a marathon week, it's a, only a week, and that's only the broadcast networks. For TCA, it is the broadcast networks, it is cable, it is PBS, it's Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, so you get so many sales how, pitches. How many, how many networks? actually do scripted shows now. Oh, I couldn't even tell you, but I mean, just about every, just about every network does at least one scripted show, even things that you wouldn't think, like History Channel. And, you know, well, Paramount has a channel. channel. Well, but that's a lifetime, not like yeah. uh, Lionsgate has a channel. I just did a show on Pop. Right, yeah. Pop does scripted, of course. Yeah. But I mean, even things that you would think don't do it because they were they were founded to be nonfiction television like History Channel. Right. They, but even they are in that. Oh, show. great shows, too. And the, the presentations at the TCA are not just for scripted shows. They are for documentaries and unscripted. So oh, you end up the week really needing to take some time to think, what did I see when? And where <laughs> so it, it'll come back to me. As I'm doing my reporting or I'm you know, making appearances and talking about TV, I'll be, oh, yeah, I remember that show. That was good. That looked good. Can I just jump in and say one thing about Tony Chima? He gets the email that Golden Girl Forever is a New York Times bestseller. And he's like, oh, I got an email. It's a bestseller. It's, it's a New York I Times I never saw it from you. Okay. I never saw it from you. I nearly, I needed a, 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 a Depends. I needed a, po- <laughs> a Poise Pad. I needed Emoji. I, needed, I, I was incontinent over how excited I was. And he was kind of like, yeah, I think he was excited, but I, I don't think he processed it at first, or he did. He kind of kept it quiet. Because it's an email. They should have called you. What kind of person do you have? Hey, right. Frank, it's an email. You're showing. <laughs> I mean, no one's ever called with that. But they believe. <laughs> and they called. So they got a I show up with a big check or something, you know, with one of those eight-book checks. <laughs> at least the flowers. Flowers, a confetti can. Frank is so cute. He thinks those big checks are like legal tender. How do they say that? He wants to have this. Well, I told Jim last time when he was on a, um, a couple months ago, because I haven't had you guys on together, the first time we've had you together, but when I saw you guys last May when I was out here on Alexander's show, you guys are so amazingly supportive of each other, and it's, it's really a wonderful thing to see, especially long-term relationships and everything, and he brags on you and you brag on him. Like I said, I didn't do that because I saw your Instagram posting. I saw your postings of it, I, and you guys I, are such a fantastic couple as far as Supporting each other, you don't have to toot your own horns. You guys toot each other's horns. You have this great time together. I haven't tooted his horn in weeks. I tried to get your own. I, I don't know. I'm going to tell you right now. I have known him what, at least ten years, right? <laughs> oh hell! Well, and they keep saying all the time. He was nice enough to have me on his show all the time. But all I have to do is call him, and I love him for that because he's so no. Because there's the thing about gay men, and I just there's a competitive nature, and I and I've never felt that. I like. And I, I know that too, but, but I you, not, not, not to the point where you're 
with the diligence. And, you know, but I, don't, I certainly don't have it with Jim. I mean, I don't have no, that. But you're, you're, I don't like when people you're really are not surprised. deserving. But you're really That's supportive. what I get to. Yeah. You, know? gotcha. really, you were so supportive of me, and I say that. So, Dorian and Frank were just, I mean, I just felt like I had a home to go on and talk about things and be uh, supported, and I just loved it. You see, this is the etiquette. This is what you're supposed to say. With any, I'm saying to everyone, if I call you up or Jay calls whatever, okay. You hang up the phone, and then you say, oh, great, guess who wants to be on the show? And then you book them, okay? So you get your bitchy out of the way, and you do your thing, <laughs> and then you book them, and you have the money, and then you're done. with that's really fun. Okay? He never hung up the phone. He always talked to me. <laughs> so they never did. No, I, no and, I, and I liked when you and I, when, when, you know, Guy Brown said that about us. I was like, you know what? We were among the earliest ones to and I like I know. Okay, back to TCAs. Anything yeah. that you learned that you didn't learn before? I mean, you got Murphy Brown coming. You Are you talking to Murphy Brown? Did... No, no, no. Murphy Brown's coming back. So yeah. There's a panel at the CBS presentation. Oh, gosh. Yeah. With everyone. Yeah, what is she doing? Come on. She looks completely different than she did in the book club. I've seen her in pictures. Did she? It, it, she looks different now than she did in the book club. Or yeah, the book club looks different from Murphy Brown. The no, the way she looks now in all the promos, they are literally photographing her through a loaf of bread. We should all be that lucky. Huh? <laughs> I want to know something has happened. The whole family. I is really the don't know, other than of course I forgot there. Right? Yeah. Is there, is there, is there the new Murphy Brown to the old Murphy Brown? Obviously. No, I'm talking about your last year. I didn't see book club, so I don't. Know. I my mother. I don't know. Yeah. But the panel got you excited for it? The panel got me very excited. The only uh, cast member who was not on the panel it was, is Ty Daly because she was busy in New York. But it was all the old timers, uh, not Jim Dyer, Charles Kimbrough, who wasn't on the panel. However, they did announce at that panel, which they hadn't said before, that he's coming back for three episodes. So nice. Jim Dial That'll be cool. retired, you know, so it really will be the whole thing. He played the older, he was the old. He was Jim Dial was suddenly over there. I kind of told the guy down. Why did I pass away? Oh, okay. Now, I saw you do a little blurb on it, but one of my fun shows is Midnight Tech, which is for fun. Yeah. Thing. Did you go to a panel on that? Or? I did. So they have a new character Midnight coming Tech. on yeah. that I love. Okay, so Midnight Texas, they didn't do a panel of it by itself, but they did a panel of three different NBC shows. And their showrunners. And one of the showrunners is a friend of mine. So I was really happy to see Midnight Texas coming back for a second season. <laughs> and, yeah, they, they talked about the, the gist of what the second season will be. Because in the first season, they ran through a lot of the books. Uh, the books, I should say. Sure. And so in the second season, uh, it is there's a new uh, mysterious hotelier in town. And played by Nestor Carbonell. Who I love. I love. I love him. So and, and he kind of helps, I think, people's darkest wishes come true. That's going to be fun. Show. I don't know. What's NBC? that? It's called Midnight Texas with NBC mid-season or something like that. It's actually a network show, and I don't know. Yeah, it, it only debuted at mid-season. So it's fun. It's really it kind of a freaky end. show. Everyone's a little freaky in some way. It's by Charlene Harris, the author of True Blood. And, and so it debuted on, at, at mid-season on NBC, but I think they only made eight episodes in the first season. Yeah, it was so very small, really mid-season. But it did get renewed. They do that all the time now. I mean, it was a fun, guilty pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there is no TV season anymore. It goes on forever. You can be on three series if you want. You can, well, I mean, there are people that are on multi-series. I know people who are doing that. I was just trying to think who it was. I asked from DCA who was talking about all of the different shows that they're managing to do. And I know that, you know, Annie Potts is doing Young Sheldon. But when I asked her about if they ever did a designing one reunion, would she come back and do it? She said, sure, I would. I'd just squeeze it in. Can you imagine that? Oh, my God. Designing one is doing several different shows. At the same time, right. so 
because of the shorter rotors, it is optional. Well, let's get into the love boat for just a little bit. You've been riding this for now. I saw your big open call for if you know any of these people. Who are your people you still haven't got to yet, and who have been your funnest to talk to so far? It's been great. So I, I generally take too long to research books because, <laughs> A, I'm a Virgo, and so I'm really completist and obsessive about getting everybody. And, B, it's the fun part. Sitting down and talking to all these actors and, and writers and producers is the fun part. Then transcribing and writing a book is not fun. So it, two years ago this month, I did my first interview for the book, which was Gavin McLeod here in Palm Springs, and he was amazing and set the tone. You know, the captain literally set the tone for the rest of the, the project. Nice. He was wonderful. I've spoken with I, – I mean, you expect that the main cast is going to have great things to say because this was their lives for nine seasons. So they all did. The one, Like, people that really amazed me, I – made a list, a wish list, and you saw right. some of that on Facebook, and some of them I had already gotten, so I didn't even put on Facebook, but thought were going to be hard to get. So there were people who really started, I mean, in addition to all the people who were ending their careers at the Love Boat, because they were big stars in the 30s and 40s, there were people who are big stars now, but were just starting their careers, and some right. of the first jobs were the Love Boat. Terry Hatcher, her very first job was the Love Boat Mermaid. Tom Hanks was on, he was on Boom Buddies at the time, but he was on early in right. year, Billy Crystal. The one that I was most floored by was I noticed just by, again, looking at the IMDb, because I didn't remember the episode right off the top of my head, Kathy Bates was on it early, in very early in her Love her. her. Wow. Oh, my God. So that's one of those cases. I put in a request to her publicist. A lot of times, it's best if you're the author. One of the reasons I you do use Facebook is it's best if you know the actor directly. It's because if you're writing a book and you go to a publicist or an agent, a lot of times they don't even put the, the request through the uh, talent because they figure, I'm not going to get anything out of this. I'm not going to run this by her. She's not going to want to do this. <laughs> so it's best usually to go directly to the actor if you can. In this case, I didn't know Kathy Bates. So I went to her publicist, and I couldn't believe it when her publicist wrote back and said, I know she'd be delight, delighted to do this and to talk to you. And sure enough, I spent about an hour on the phone with Kathy Bates, and she said, I learned how to act on that show. I appeared opposite John Rubenstein, who was so giving wow. and showed me what to do and taught me about the cameras. She really talked about how that was one of her launching pads and really showed her what to, how to how to perform. And, and how it was because she's a theater right, actor. Right, she's a theater actor. So really, she had to work on her TV. Yeah, so, and to, she's my Shirley Winter. I love Kathy yeah. Bates. It's yeah. like, well, and, and, you know, I fell in love with her more that. She oh, sweet, sweet. I wasn't there, and I fell in love with her. I was like, I, she wants I to talk about this. I love it. And then... I have to this year at TCA. There's a panel about American Horror Story. She's back. She's back. And at the very end of the panel, it randomly came up. I could not believe this. It just watered the up. Someone asked a question about other people in the Ryan Murphy kind of stable of players like Dennis O'Hare and a few other people. Are they coming back? And there were you know, some yes, some no. But Sarah Paulson's answer, kind of as a joke, was, oh, yeah, you know, everybody was back. Like, our show's becoming like the love boat. And with that, Kathy looks at the audience and says, the love boat was one of the best experiences. John Rubenstein was one of them. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, my God. That she's yeah. out about being on the love boat. Right. Right. She's willing to bring it out about what Oscar is. Exactly. And, you know, that the humility of, of talking about something as cheesy as the love boat when you're as famous and well-respected as Kathy Bates, but also giving it credit for what it did for you. I'm so impressed with her. But that the is amazing. an actor to go on a show and really learn your craft yeah. because people think that you can just do stuff and you can't. You have to actually go on a show and be able to work with a camera. And like you alluded to, you're not doing the cast, you're doing the, like, all the guest stars and everything. Well, I want to be able to put really together, good. much like with Golden Girls Forever, I want to put together an oral history of what it was like from all angles to do yeah. the show. So 
whether you were the captain or whether you were a guest star once or whether you were Charo, who I talked to a couple of years ago, who was on eight or nine times. How was transcribing that part? That was <laughs> one of the hardest things I've ever done. Did she really have this thick accent or not? Oh, my God, it's not yes. put on? No. Oh, I thought it was just a put no, on. I mean, she, she still lives here, right? She still talks like that? She, yes. She's lived here for many years, and she, she leans into the accent, I think, when she uh, acts. Uh-huh. But there were there were whole sentences that I just asked question mark question as I'm, as I'm transcribing because what the heck did she say? There was a moment where she said, first she had said, Gucci Gucci. And then she said, oh, speaking of a coochie coochie, I must have opened my leg because I ended up pregnant. And then I was like, what? I, I had to open my leg because I ended up pregnant. And, and then I was pregnant. What? Oh, pregnant. You were pregnant. Oh, my God. There were so many times where I was just like, question mark, question mark. But I that is so funny. Call her back, oh my God. I didn't call her back. Not yet. Talked, not yet. We talked for an hour, and I just got through transcribing it. But I think that's one of the cases where I'm probably going to email her and say, will you make sure I get this right? <laughs> because I may have accidentally gotten some of her words wrong. She's you like, you're that? still trying to get to. I'm still trying to get to Terry Hatcher and Tom Hanks um, and Ted McGinley. And uh, Ted, I know someone that knows Ted. Yeah, Ted's a lovely guy, but he's kind of private. So I don't know if he wants to talk about anything in his career, but... Uh, there's a, there's a, a small list. It's, it's a pretty small list of people like that who I think really would enrich the book. Because, like, for example, Terry Hatcher went from a, literally a non-speaking role that she auditioned on. She was a cheerleader from San Francisco who came down with a friend to go because they had this casting hall for the Love Boat Mermaids in 1986. They were creating these dancing, singing girls. And she literally took it half seriously. And But they saw her. They said, that girl has it. Whatever it is, She ha- not only is she beautiful, but she's got something. And so not only was she not really a trained dancer other than cheerleading, she wasn't a trained singer. And yet, of all the mermaids, she was the one that right away they started giving her lines. And actually, they gave her a character name. You're Amy. And, you, and they gave her kind of dumb, dumb jokes. Right. Because that's she crazy. just instantly popped. And so to go from that to what she's done in her career, that's a story I need to That is a great yeah. story. Oh, my goodness. She did that even though she was on a blonde. She was really... A great dumb blonde. Yeah, right. The brunette. That was kind of the lines they wrote. And, and then when she went to do Soap Dish, she said that was the combination of that character that she, and she was so great in that. Exactly. And I love, I love Soap Dish. She was no pregnant. She was no pregnant. There was a moment when Charo was telling me a story that turned out not to be love but related, but I was way too deep into transcribing it when I realized about how when she came to this country and her she was performing in Vegas and her her uh, mentor had always been Andre Segovia. Now, what, that is a name I know, so, but that's one Who? of them. Andre Segovia. Andre Segovia, the great guitarist. But that's one case where she's like, S-E-G-O-V-A. I was like, I wish you'd spell everything. <laughs> but, so she said, I, I was doing this, my act, and I would, I, I, would, I, would, I would have the part of the act where I would say, okay, I would play the flamenco guitar. And then I'd be, I'd be like, monkey. But I would, yeah, I would say, I've been trained by the world's greatest Andre Segovia. So, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, do you want to meet Andre mm-hmm. Segovia? And so I, I would introduce you, ladies and gentlemen, Andre Segovia, and he would come to a monkey. And the monkey would be wearing a little tuxedo that matched my because I always play a flamenco in a tuxedo that my sister would make. And my sister would make a little matching tuxedo with a monkey. And I was just like, what? What, what are you doing? There was a monkey in a tuxedo. For people out there, it was a monkey, a monkey in a tuxedo that matched Charo's outfit. And she would pretend it was hilarious. going to be her mentor, Andre Segovia, and said it would be a chimpanzee in a matching tuxedo <laughs> that her sister made. Oh, my God. And that chimpanzee was me! <laughs> 
right, well, before we go to break, we're going to keep going in our 25-year tradition with Matt Walls here. Talk about his 25 years in I show business. <laughs> Matt is our, our young buck on the panel today. Uh, actor, you're a, uh, you've been in costuming, you've been a radio personality and finding achievement for quite a few years now. Um, talk about your experience in the entertainment business and what your feelings have been. Oh, I cannot, I don't feel worthy to be amongst these <laughs> legends, really. <laughs> I'm just here, like, listening to <laughs> authors and hosts and celebrity people. I mean, thank you for having me, first of all. I, uh, as they were talking about the early 90s, were like, how old was I then? Go ahead, rub it in. Go ahead. Seventh grade is the... Uh, Trucking along in algebra class. So was I, but I didn't yeah. know algebra because that was too crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you were just held back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, like, I uh, moved to L.A. six years ago, and I quickly, um, to, to be in entertainment, I have a degree in theater, and I studied improv in New York before I moved here because I wanted to, I dreamed of being on Saturday Night Live and doing crazy things like Molly Shaman and um, sacrificing my body for comedy. <laughs> and I met uh, David Cruz on Millionaire Matchmaker. And from there, we became fast friends, and he asked me to be on his podcast. And I realized that I loved being myself and and talking about personal things and and being more myself than then I get the character actor. And Wait, so, go back to Millionaire Matchmaker. How did you mean that? On, as, in what capacity? You were working on the show or you were dating? Yeah. Okay, I was so a dater. Were you the one she was fixing up with other people or were you one of the other candidates for the one guy? Like, how did it work? Uh, well, I'm not a millionaire, so I wasn't like, you weren't a millionaire. Me. So you were one yeah. of the candidates for yeah. the millionaire. And then there was this awful person who wanted to pick someone to date. And he, it was down to two people with fabulous hair, and I was one of them. He was like, I want someone who looks like George Michael, a young George Michael. So it was me and this other 20-something-year-old kid, and it was down to both of us, and he chose the other guy. Okay, but you had a happy ending. You yeah, because then Dave was like, you're somewhat normal. I'm like, I'm super normal. <laughs> so fun. So he was like, you should be on my show. Oh, I love that. And then we just became friends, and now we're neighbors. And Everyone in that show, all the girls had to wear hair extensions. On Millionaire Matchmaker? Yes. All the girls, she always had to wear hair extensions, blonde hair, put a dress on, fix up your hair. And That's so. I, no. just, I quickly realized, like, everything, no matter if it's reality or what, it's just so scripted and so, I mean, I loved my time on there. It was so fun. It was so, like, being from Utah, I was, like, so wide-eyed, and it was so crazy. It was so interesting to see how, I mean, then seeing the finished product, how yeah. edited, it just makes it look like I went in and was, like, down for whatever. And I wasn't. I had to be convinced to pull out my pants and show my underwear. <laughs> and it just seemed a little interesting to see in that situation. Now, talk about going from that to the radio show. Now you're kind of co-hosting, producing it. Yeah. And you're talking to all these people in relation advice. And how does it help you or affect you? Or so now I'm on a show, and we talk about relationships and asks and dating, and I know really nothing about that. I'm not in a relationship. <laughs> I download any app, so I'm down for whatever. I will post my picture. I will go on as many coffee dates as it takes. Um, I love talking to people about 
their dating lives. I love giving any snippet of advice I can give. Um, I find that this creative outlet that um, David gives me is so much fun just to talk to real people and to see what makes them tick. I love Hello, I love my job. <laughs> I think it's fascinating to see what, um, and to interview people about their jobs and their lives, whether they be, they're just a normal person who wants data advice or there's someone who has written a book about whatever. And, uh, yeah, I just find that that's this fun creative outlet that I get to do while also working a nine-to-five job. Right. Exactly. Right now you're kind of working for it out there. Um, outside company, Lululemon is just huge on the Internet, obviously. But you've got some great opportunities through there. You're from Utah, like you said. And you had to go to Love Loud that was just last month. And oh. talk about that, the guy from Imagine Dragons and whole, that uh, documentary. Yeah, and, right? yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Talk about I that experience being there to, and coming from there. Yeah, to be, I worked with an amazing company, Lululemon, who they're not just an athleisure where they, they really want to be involved in other things. And this year we were a co-sponsor with Love Loud, which – Dan Reynolds, who is the lead singer of Imagine Dragons. He's dreamy. Okay. He's so dreamy, and he's getting so buff and squeezed his muscles so hard <laughs> in a picture. And, um, yeah, he has this amazing documentary on HBO right now called Believer, and it's I really resonate with it because I was also raised Mormon, as he was, and so being raised Mormon and being gay, I just, I mean, that speaks to me is, you know, being coming from a really strict religious background and not being able to, you know, really know how to deal with feelings that you're having and being conflicted with God and, you know, how do I navigate through life? But um, I love this documentary and how he is um, really shining light on what does religion do to um, people who are struggling, kids who are having feelings that are maybe contradictory to how they're being raised. Um, so I encourage anyone to watch Believer. But Gav has put together this festival of music and um, poets and speakers. It's the second annual that just happened in Utah. Um, and 35,000 35, people were there. I think I was 35. 35. 35 <laughs> people were there. 36. I was 36. And, and he's um, not a gay. What is my you know? Uh, three interviews. <laughs> yeah, Lee. Five. You no, uh, you know what? I that's. It is. It is fascinating to me. But let's, let's just not forget because I think it's really important. There's a gay guy who's a singer who also was sort of co. Tyler Glenn. Tyler Glenn. Yeah, yeah he is a neon tree. Yeah, and he, he was also raised on. He smells good. Does he? Yes. Have you missed his man? We 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 went to an uh, event, a Trevor Project event in December in Beverly Hills, and he was playing. The after concert was that his band playing, and I kept. We were, you know, and, that, and everybody wasn't too far from the stage, and I kept looking around, like, who smells so good here? And I, it, well, the funny thing is, so I'm thinking of like the guy next to me, like sniffing people, like getting in people's faces. And with that, it's like he read my mind. He said something like, "By the way, I wear Tom Ford black American cologne. It gets me laid, and I love it." And I was like, "Chris is laid." So, did, did you get it? Did it work out? Well, it didn't work out that I don't get laid. But, but it was, so I, whenever I hear Tyler's name in Neon Trees, I just, you know, 
Black Orchid. I have to have the group. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but when yeah. I hear that, I just have that sensory memory. But I wanted to give him credit because I think he was much a part of the documentary. Yes, he was, and they kind of did this together. But yeah. I think to answer your question is, Dan saw a need, specifically in the Mormon church, that these kids were sadly feeling so bad about themselves and their sexuality that they were committing suicide. And so he's like, we need to have some sort of a rally to let them know they're loved. And so he did it, and he is doing it, and he's advocating for people to talk about it and say, we love you, we hear you, we are here for you, and I wholeheartedly support him and his efforts. And and especially with the party line with the idea, oh, it's because of the altitude. That's why these kids are killing themselves. Yeah, that, that was hilarious. You really did it. You said, no, that was for real. That yeah. was the excuse that was given. The altitude in Utah is what. And it would have been so easy for him to ignore it if he's not gay or so. Sure. I mean, yeah. look at all the people who do, do ignore problems out there. I mean, I'm just so impressed that he took it upon himself yeah. to do something. He didn't even live in Utah. He was he's from Las Vegas, but he knows that. You know, that's kind of the Mormon church in Salt Lake, so he's like, we're doing it there. But he is Mormon. He is Mormon. Well, good. See, yeah. he still pursues the Mormon faith. He recently said on Ellen that he's not actively going. Now, I don't want to speak for Dan, but no. um, he just said he's not actively going, but he's not, he says he's Mormon. And Ellen said, why do you say you're Mormon if you don't agree with the things they're saying? And he said, well, you know, Mormons don't like to be told what to do. No one likes to be told what to do. And I, I agree with this. I no longer practice Mormonism, but I say I'm Mormon. I mean, technically, my name is on the record of the church. But they don't like to be told what to do. And you can get a lot more done when you're amongst them and in the church than leaving and saying, you know what, you're wrong. And this is what, this is how you're wrong. It's and a I part of who you are, though, too. It's really yes, part, like I'm Jewish, but I don't, I don't pursue religion. But I really take the culture of Judaism, that's a big part of who I am as a human being, but I don't, I'm not a religious person, yeah. I don't believe in religion for me, but if, you know, but I respect it. Well, I feel the same way about being a Catholic, if I go, yeah. people are, are you a Catholic? If, yeah, I'm a Catholic, Jews are Catholic, if I do we practice? No, I have been in church. And religion. do you agree with everything? No, oh, hell no. Right. Right. There are certain things yeah. that you still do that, right, but you don't even have to agree with everything, I mean, right. that's part of yeah, I think the difference is Mormonism always seemed to me in for a penny, in for a pound. Like you can't, because you can be a Catholic, Catholic a secular Jew, you're just like, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah you just kind of, you're just like, yeah, I'm Catholic. Yeah, there's not really levels in Mormonism. Yeah, you're either in or not. Yeah. Right. We like to create, you know, conservative religion, you know, and then bottom is gentle. Yeah. <laughs> no, because every time, on, on Christmas, my Jewish friends come over and they're like, "You are making ham, aren't you?" And it's like, "Yes." Yeah. Like, that's the day that I've been doing yeah, ham. I just saw this Jason Stewart character in Second Lobster. <laughs> there you go. There you Trace go. at yeah. the time is a Trace at the word. Trace. Trace. Yeah. I, I, when I was a kid, I used to really love the idea of Christmas. And people said, people have said to me, even to this day, they say, "How can you do that if you're Jewish?" I said, "Because Christmas is a holiday." It's about being with your family and friends and, and sharing time and vacationing and love. And, and it, it has nothing to do with religion anymore. I mean, we actually changed the date of Jesus Christ's birthday. I mean, we changed it more convenient. Ham is the way to go. Forget the goose. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm of the thinking that probably Jesus is like an amalgamation character of several people. It's like, you know, it's something it didn't really happen to one person. So in our lives, Jesus would be recurring, but not a regular. <laughs> <laughs> there you okay. go. That's, I got it now. I got it. 
Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 With Jesus. <laughs> As Jesus. Yes. I can say that to these guys, and they know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Christina, we have Christina in the control room today, back in Ohio. Why don't you go ahead and take a song for break? We need to have another lobster roll. Speaking of lobster roll, and have another cocktail here. When we come back, we'll have a couple little roundtable discussions, and we're going to wrap it up here, right on the Left of Straight show on the Big Gay Road Trip in Palm Springs. We yeah. out. I hope we didn't talk about Yeah, sorry. Talking to the fantastic, uh, we've got a great cast here. We've got Matt Walls, we have Jim Colucci, we have Frank DeCaro, we have Jason Stewart, having a fun time here. Learned all about what's happening in the lives. Let's have a little bit of fun, guys, and talk about some current events. 
Um, we got to bond over social media a little bit about Mama Mia. You took Jim to see it. Luckily, he liked it. I love the first one. Love the second one. I like that Cher's bringing out a new album all over Amazon. We got the first sneak peek with that with Gimme Gimme. So now the whole thing is out, and they did a mashup with Hung Up by Madonna. Okay, no, you can uh, put on your, your adult diaper because there's a Madonna Cher mashup on the uh, internet. Talk to me, Frank. Oh, my God. First of all, we, we went to see Mom. I told him, I said, if I don't see Mom Mia the afternoon that it opened, I would go out of my mind. But okay. well, what did you say you would do if you really liked the movie? I said, if I really like it, I'll put it out. And what did you have to Not a lot of putting out. <laughs> Wait a second here. No, I did love the movie. I just, Why did you I didn't the bad get, I didn't get him a good one. I, you know, I, I have to say, I thought, did not love it. <laughs> we can't be friends. Jason Stewart and I cannot be friends. Well, 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 well. Meryl Streep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow it right now. She has one song at the end. That's a beautiful song. Yes. Every I mean, lesbian product. It's true. I've talked to no, let Apparently, lesbians have mother issues the way we have gay father issues. There you go. Kids. There you go. So they have their mother issues and they, so they share. Look, look like she's wearing a wig that's back from our Hollywood. No! She was frosted with an The young boys, the sailor boy, had me a hello. I don't know. And it was fun. It was just fun. Two hour vacation from Donald Trump's America. I love it. Thank you. Love it. I'm sorry. I could barely. Cigarettes that was her chat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just so you know, funny. it doesn't really matter at this point. Either way, I don't know. Who she, it, it, and I, it's funny because I love Cher as an actress, and I was so excited to see her in something again. And I just, I don't know. And then you had the back and forth with the young and old. And then at the end of the movie, all the young and the old people are together. And it's like, hey, we're in a fake movie, everyone. It's not real. <laughs> Everything's oh, fake. The word <laughs> So he's still on Paramount's back lot. It wasn't even in freaking. No, he's still in Croatia. Croatia. Was it really? Yeah, Croatia? it looked like it was filmed in someone's backyard. Oh, oh Lord, you're kidding me. Jason Stewart, you are dead to me all the time. Yeah. Good. Gracious. But come on, the clothes. The most ugliest clothes I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, but then you want that. No, I still. I do. Yeah, I wanted to be. Cher was oh, huge. Cher was huge. Cher was huge. Everybody else had ugly clothes except for Cher. Cher looked great. Her clothes looked great. I mean, I can't believe that the, the 80s clothes and the thing, and Christine Bilarski with so much makeup. Is just... <laughs> now, the young Christine Bilarski, she nailed it. They were all good. All the guys were good. But come on, all the guys, the three younger guys, they look like they were brothers. They didn't even look like the other people. <laughs> oh, they kind of No, they didn't kind of at all. Oh, all right, let's uh, move on. Too much controversy. Speaking of movies, and we talked of briefly, you mentioned Coco Perez earlier. Brr. We got our Coco Perez. We have Trick Two coming out. They're, yeah, they're just now filming that. that. You guys remember that? Did you ever see the original? Oh, oh yeah. great work. I loved that show. It's so sweet. I think Beer it's kind of exciting. Sorry. We're bringing the entire original cast back. Did you ever see it? It's Trick. called Trick. It's way before your time. It's, 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 it's on its 20th anniversary. anniversary. What's really What's really funny about that movie is that it was actually in the theater and a success and a big success on VHS at the time. It was really, really groundbreaking at the time, and it introduced Coco Peru to all of us. You know? Who is it? Who is it? As good a drag queen as ever was. She and that's brilliant. And not aged. It's smart no. and funny. And here's a fun thing for anyone who ever gets on the stage. She has something to say. Um, that is, I say this to her every time. I say, you know what I've come with? You actually have something to say. Well, it shows are really crafted, too. Mm-hmm. 
Because there are a lot of people with microphones. We know this. Right. Point is famous. We brought a show in Columbus, and it was amazing. I yeah. loved every second of it. But there are people who get in front of the mic and have nothing to say. And it's like she has a lot. It's like go and worship at the altar of Coco Parade. Hey, did you see the reading of it? No, I didn't know the, the trick, too. Yeah, no. they, had a, they had a stage reading of it recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like a show. Show. yeah. yeah they just oh, announced yeah. that they're doing the sequel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm really awesome. excited to see... Uh, to see that I'm happy for Jim Paul, the director, and also for all the wonderful actors that are in it. It's really a big classic. It is a classic. It's one of the one of the better. It's ones. really romantic and sweet. And I did not it. You did. What movie? There's a new movie called Run by a, a director named Craig Otto, who's making a feature debut. When I play, I I read a book and Martin Matlin works for me. It's fun. Yeah, that would be cool. Well, Madeline is in it, and, and Alan Cumming is in it. Oh, my God. Some fabulous woman from Orange is the Barbara Rosenblatt. Barbara Rosenblatt. Rosenblatt. She's so good. Did, did, you, did, you, did you have to do hand fine language? No, no, I didn't do that. No, I just ran the store. No, I was a bad ball. I get it. But I think I got to keep my bag, so I'm the man. It's a man <laughs> store. So now you're a replacement. That's my point. We have one movie. That's my point. But I knew the guy. But I know the director. Oh, I love that. Well, let's wrap up with one topic that's kind of getting back and forth in the news. They just had, we have the whole thing with Scarlett Johansson, and now we have the new first Disney movie. They're doing the, what's it called? The Jungle Cruise movie? Yeah, the Jungle Cruise, and they hired a straight actor to be the first Disney openly gay Character a little over the top. What are you guys' thoughts about that? Any, any? I think it's dangerous to say only gay people can play gay roles, or only anybody can. That you have to be what you're playing. However, how tone deaf do you have to be at this moment to cast a straight guy in a really flam? I was gonna say faggy, really flamboyant part. And it's you know it's like. No, not now. It's like this is the wrong mo- Someday again, anybody, everyone will get to play everything, as it should be. But it's like, right now, don't do it. It's like, you know, and I feel bad because the guy probably wants to work. He may be terrific in it. But don't. Is there a conversation with the actors? I'll give you my four cents on it. So I, I love, I love uh, the idea of us being able to play anything. I think it's just... It's, you know, that we're all almost avatars, you know, that, that we're actors, that we can play different parts, different accents, different ages, and different everything. That's, that's what acting is. That's what acting is. That's what acting yes. is. But it has nothing to do with the way things are cast, it, you know, until recently, until last, maybe the last 10 years or so. But we're still catching up in a big way. And I do think that playing a gay man uh, in a movie or a gay woman, a uh, lesbian, um, requires some authenticity that sometimes straight people do not have. There, there have been times that people have done brilliant jobs. I'd say the two boys in Brokeback Mountain. I'd say, uh, you know, I was talking to Dan Jenks, who was the producer of Milk, and I think he got offended at me, and I'll say I apologize to him. I was at a party, and he, he, would, he said, well, no, that's not true. I think actors complain for And he was right, but I see as an actor sometimes, and I agree with him, 100%, but I do think at times I don't think that they're able to there's a physicality that we have. It's not just about a femininity, because we're not all that way, but it's about a physicality. It's the way we touch each other. It's the way we look at each other. It's the kind of kiss that we give each other. It's a romantic role. It's a sense of humor that, um, that, that we have. It's, sometimes it's not. It, it's the difference between being able to play organically and being played out. 
Tom Hanks, brilliant in Philadelphia. You know, certain, I could go down the list of straight men that have played the part. But on the other hand of that, and as the national co-chair of the Screen Actors Guild LGBT Committee, I say that, um, you know, the, the playing field is still not fair. It's still not open. I mean, it's still not even. It's, it's not even that, that for a lot of people. And on the other side of that, if you are a gay actor, and you are out, and you are feminine, and you want to play other kinds of roles, you need to go to class, and you need to learn to change who you are so you can play the part. So if you are playing... Change who you are on screen. On screen, yeah. yeah. Not in real life, thank you. Yeah, you need to be able to change your voice, and you need to be able to be this guy, and you need to, you know, if you want to play, you know, something, plantation, you have to say, it's hard times, small farms, like you might say. You have to be able to go back there and have to be able to come to you. You know, I remember when I was on Birth of a Nation, the thing that I was really, I was afraid they were going to fire me the first day. I was afraid they were going to go, ooh, the clip show, and I can see it. You know, I was waiting for something. Well, you said Mary at the end of every line. No, no, no. Oh, girl. 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 Get my slaves out of here. Where's my wife? Where's my wife? I need her. Mary, I can't take this. Anyway, I'm going to take it. It's so hot out here. Can somebody get me my fan? And some little queen shows up with a giant fan. Don't you think that's upsetting to me, the idea that it's a missed opportunity? I think even if you're not going to play the whole outrage card, which this part of me wants to, but you're sort of like, it's kind of a missed opportunity. You're playing a really campy role. It's a very campy part in the Jungle Cruise. It starts the rock. He's not the candy bar. But, but you know, I don't know I don't know the name of the guy. He's young. Uh, he's an English actor. Um, oh, Jack Whitehall. I'm Whitehall. sick of British actors. Because right. it's really important. Because that idea 
is is not inclusive. And I think we have to start saying, hey, we are all part of this. You know, right. I just saw. I, I'm going to change slides, but I just I just saw uh, the Black Klansman, Spike Lee film, and it, it's about it's an incredible film, and it really made me think. And it's, it's about um, uh, this black guy in the 70s that goes undercover to infiltrate the Ku Klux Klan, and this Jewish man that goes with him, and they both play the same person, mm. pretending to be the same wow. person. And at the end, the film culminates with what happened in Virginia a year ago. And the fact that people can walk down the street and say, you know, we're not going to let the Jews take our jobs. We're not going to let black people do these groups that are doing this. It's because of that attitude and that mindset that we're having, you know, that Donald Trump is president and all these things are happening in our country. And we've got to, you know, this is a free to be, new to be world. And, uh, you know, we have to, that's what this country was built on. And I, I, I just think it's really important that, all these things really represent who we are and how people feel about who they are and how, and how they grow up and want to be a part of the fabric of this country. Right. And but also, we're, we're in such, we're, it's 2018, and it's still a revolutionary act to make a superhero movie with an African, or a black cat. Or a woman. Yeah. Or a woman. It's Crazy. revolutionary to do a, a, a romantic comedy where almost everyone in the movie is Asian. Crazy Rich Asian is fantastic. That's a fabulous movie. And that's a fantastic too. What's the controversy? That the lead man, Henry Golden, is biracial. And a lot of actors were not happy when he was cast. But the same thing, I'm forgetting, because it was Halle Berry, the first woman to win an Academy Award, was half black, our president was half black. That's because they are so afraid. Harvey Milk said it best. He said, ooh, a gay guy in power, ooh, that's dangerous. Well, in this that's case, afraid of. In this case, though, it's, and I understand because. There's, several, there's a lot of factors in the casting. Obviously, uh, intent is the most important, I think, to me. You have to, if you're an actor playing something that is not your own background, you have, your intent has to be to do it with integrity, and you're not making fun. And I think that most actors today do have that integrity. Sure. But So I, I do think that, you know, I, if I were an actor, would I only be able to play somebody who's half Italian, a quarter Irish, and a quarter Slovenian, and gay? I mean, I would think that that's a little limited. Not sure. So same thing with Henry Golding. I mean, is he only allowed to play biracial characters? Because... People there in, in the Asian actor community, and I understand where people are coming from because there has been so little opportunity for so long for Asian actors. But they were originally, some, I should say, some were originally protesting his casting because he's not fully Asian. But I mean, does that mean he's only allowed to play biracial characters? No, right. but it does say something. It says something. It's, it's a lack of opportunity. It's protectionism. It's, it's, not not opportunity. No, it's not just opportunity. It's worse than that. Because what it is, it's saying that you have to look more white. You have to look, even if you look at one of the problems you talking about, he doesn't look white. No, but he has, he has, he looks more, he has a Caucasian thing about it. He doesn't look stereotypically Asian in that kind of way because they they don't think that we will find that attractive. There is not one person in that movie that anyone can say no to. Talking about it, 
And I thought he made a good point. He was talking about he's in a new movie. He's an out trans actor, the very first trans person on Bold and Beautiful, obviously. But he said his problem with it is you see these straight actors portraying it and then going to the award show and everything, and it makes it seem like it's almost a fake character. You're not really you choose to be trans. You can get out of it. It's not really a real kind of thing. And that's his kind of thing. That's well, the same thing. Different points to it as well. And so this year, CBS has a lot of diverse shows and leads, 
And the irony is that rather than getting credit for that, or at least not getting hammered for that, as they got hammered by the critics when they would sit in front of us at this convention, they got hammered on the let's move that thing. And so they, I think they were ready to come to TCA. Like, hey, finally, people are going to like us. And that was, and so. was it just me, or was it the uh, actresses from Pose, the biggest celebrities? They were. We, they were. we were going out of our minds. We'd be at Sunday and be like, oh, my God. Everybody. That, it took me three episodes to get into, about two or three episodes. Oh, my God. I was just a really? puddle of goo oh, I, all, all, the the all the critics were just, like, going crazy over them at this party because it was just like, no, I mean, we're, to be superficial, not only do they look gorgeous and more gorgeously dressed, but it's like we've all come to love them so much. And I, I had an electric abundance. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when friends came out, no one said, oh, God, it's a show about all white people. That no one has ever seen these people before. We don't know who they are. Well, especially in New York, there's all six white people. In it. And, and even the six white people, they had nobody of color in the world for a long time on track. Oh, yeah. yeah. And suddenly Susan, of course, was a show. That was another one. And it was the one that the male guy turned out to be gay at oh. the end of the show. But, yeah. Just crazy. Yeah. All right, guys. We're in the last five minutes. I want to give you a chance to plug your nuggets. I know you got a comic coming up. Give your social media and everything. That's so important these days. Thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate you guys driving out. It's been a fantastic time. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a lobster roll. Lobster rolls. There you go. Eight four nine. Eight four nine. Eight four nine. Eight four nine. The wrong exchange. You're thinking Jenny from the block or something. One of those songs. Hard to be this attractive. Jason, where can they find you? Talk about next Friday night. I will be at the Improv Comedy Club in Los Angeles. Go to jasonstewart.com. S T U A R T. If you want to see me act in anything, I'm on the new show Swedish Sticks. That you can see online on demand. You can also see Birth of a Nation on demand on HBO. And uh, go to the website to see a couple movies that are going to come out in the next year. JasonStewart.com, S C U A R T. FrankieCaro.com, that's D E C A R O. And at FrankieCaro Show on social media everywhere. And uh, check me out there. And I've got my book, A Drag Coming Through the Big Wigs of Show Business, coming next spring. And uh, this movie, Run. Directed by Craig Otto, which I'm very excited about. And in November, I'm part of uh, some storytelling nights that Lisa Lampanelli is doing. And so I'll be in uh, Connecticut and Baltimore and I think New York City, I think. Um, And so that's coming up. And uh, otherwise, I'm uh, hanging out, doing my thing, and finding out what's next. And playing around with Jim Colucci. Wow, I hope so. Yeah. That's a promise. Well, yeah, I was going to say, another promise you made great. Let's see what we can do. You can find me at Jim Colucci on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, so it's Jim, C-O-L-U-C-C-I, and I will keep everybody updated about the love boat and fun things like Are you doing gay days thing again this year? We're going to do gay days in October, so that's okay. the first weekend in October in Anaheim. And uh, and you can find Golden Girls Forever on Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble and your local bookstore. Keep it number one in the category on Amazon. Yeah, a new a New York Times best seller. So there you yeah. go, Maddie. What are you up to? <laughs> I live in West Hollywood. You can find me there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Maddie Three on Instagram. Um, follow my travels there, and um, hopefully we'll be back in the fall with Finding Cupid. You can find us on iTunes and anywhere you find your podcast. Well, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Christina, find us a song to play out to. Guys, tomorrow we're going to have another great show. We have Terry Ray and Mel England who are doing the hit show play Electricity. It's their one-year anniversary here at Indulge. We're playing the next two nights. Tickets are still available. We also have author Rick Sudi Karadas, who did Rainbow Relatives. 
fantastical talking to LGBT relatives, relatives of LGBT people, um, people from Del Shore's uh, daughters, so all sorts of different people. It's really cool. And then we're going to have um, actor Michael Vaccaro, who's Child of the 70s in the fifth season for a web series. So we're having a great time here on Blog Talk Radio, and thank you very much to the Indulge Palm Springs Resort. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Oh